It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Sam Abul Salmon is here, our car guy. Brianna Wu, our car gal. They're going to talk about cars and pinball. And Daniel Rubino from Windows Central. There's lots to talk about. Meta's announcements this week. Microsoft's announcements this week. We'll talk about the NVIDIA RTX 4090. Look at the size of that thing. What Apple's going to do with its announcements. And Elon Musk, his new... His new demands from Twitter. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 897. Recorded Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Headphones for your eyes. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Stamps.com. Get ahead of the holiday chaos this year. Sign up at Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code TWIT for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale. And by Collide. Collide is an endpoint security solution that uses the most powerful untapped resource in IT end users. Visit collide.com slash twit to learn more and activate a free 14-day trial today. No credit card required. And by Noom. With their psychology-first approach, Noom Weight empowers you to build more sustainable habits and behaviors. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash twit. And by Mint Mobile. Get premium wireless service from just 15 bucks a month with no unexpected plot twists. You'll make your wallet very happy by going to mintmobile.com slash twit. It's time for Twit This Week at Tech, the show we cover the week's tech news. I'm still exhausted from last week's show. Maybe we can make this one a little bit shorter, gang. What do you say? No, it's not going to be short because guess who's Four here? Hours. Four hours. Sam Abul Samad, my car guy, principal researcher at Guidehouse Insights, hey, host of the Wheel Bearings. We got a bunch of podcasters on the show. That means there could be a lot of talking going on. Great to, great to see Just you, Sam. Little. What are you driving it's- besides the Miata, which is your regular vehicle? What are you driving? Uh, let's see. This week, I have the Ford Expedition Timberline, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of Sounds off-roady-ish big. version of the of the big, yeah, the, it's a full-size SUV. Last week, I had a Ford Bronco Raptor. <gasps> I'm jealous. Love those new Broncos. Yeah, it was, it was great until I got stuck in the mud. I saw the pictures. You <laughs> said, make sure you change your wheels and bring a winch. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> also with us, somebody who very much loves her automobiles. Brianna Wu, co-host of the Leo. Rocket Podcast of Relay FM. What is, what is your so, f- you're driving a Boxster? Uh, I've got a Boxster. I have two 911s. I have a uh, Cayman GTS, and I also have some really big news. I'm going to break today on this show. Frank is here to celebrate this with me. Uh, I'm happy to announce I'm not just the co-host of Rocket. I am also the number one Princess Peach speedrunner in the entire Woo! Princess Boy, Peach so. baby. Do Wait a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> there we go. There's husband Frank celebrating. How fast was your Princess Peach time, and where can we see the speed run? It's on speedrun.com. Uh, and one for the, uh, for the 
for the normal run, it's nine minutes. And for the uh, run without saving and quitting, it is 15 minutes, which is an extraordinary time. So wow. thank you, Frank. <laughs> I'm very, very impressed. Speedrun.com, folks. Later. Yeah, we will. Wow. Where's Princess Peach? I got to find it. While I'm finding it, let's say hello to Daniel Rubino. He is the executive editor at Windows Central. Great to see you, Daniel. Same here. Also the host of the Windows Central podcast. every fr- Is it Friday? Every Friday? Yeah. Friday is 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on our YouTube channel. Perfect. But then it gets posted later. Perfect. And are you, do you have any unusual accomplishments you'd like to share with us? <laughs> uh, no, I own a car. <laughs> too. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I own a car. Um, yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the new, so where would I find, I want to see your speed run. Where would I find I just it? dropped it in the chat. I just oh, good. That chat. makes it easy. The original one on. Uh, oh, there's on a Vimeo of it yep nice because you've got to you have to record it because you've got to prove it you actually have nerds that go through it and like look at how oh no i can tell that that was an edit point yeah so this is all in one one run you said you had a big breaking story this was not the first thing that came to mind i must say uh, is this, how many times have you, how long and how many times have you been playing? You've been playing this since it came out. I've been playing this game since 1998, so wow. 34 years. So you, game. and you've got, in order to do this speed run, you have to have it completely memorized. I noticed you're not collecting all the coins. The idea is to get through. Nope. Is, you're not trying to do anything. You're just trying to get through. That's it. correct. Yeah. Uh, you have to go through with no health. Uh, you can't stop and get any of the mushrooms. You break the game in a ton of points. <laughs> it's... I literally sit there and play the work fight at the end for like a few hours at a time, just playing the same two minutes. Wow. It is absurd. Do you, as you're doing this, like you get here and you do screw up, you start over, right? I mean, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to. You've and that, got to. That's to me the. Now, what? Now, so you don't want to fight this guy. Oh, you knew he'd send you an egg. He could, you could bop him with the egg. Yep. Oh, you're good. So this, this you have works to kill like this a guy. bus. Yes, this is Birdo. Uh, she throws an egg at you every 128 frames. So it doesn't matter. You can like be a little slower on this fight. It doesn't matter. <laughs> every she's it's down to the frames. It is. Do you have some special tools that you use to analyze? How do you know it's 128 frames? Oh God, you you look at it in quick time after you do it oh and my just obsess God. about it. You're so, kidding. See how so you, you go down here so you don't render and she moves faster. Oh, that's a trick. Level. That's yep. a trick. Get off screen and she will move <laughs> faster. That's right. This is kind of a subculture is what this is. Oh, every yes. 128, every 128 frames, you're going to get an egg. One, two, three. <laughs> okay. Do you know like uh, what frame you're at right now? Like, can you kind of tell? Like I know when uh, that egg's you get a sense for you. You know when the bus is going to come and when you have to be there by, so you can make a few <laughs> frames. You should write a book on this. I really. How many should. speed run records have you got now? Uh, for like number one, only two. But I've been working on my Jill run for Resident Evil Three, so I'm going to be competitive in that soon. So this this is you are at this point the the fastest person. In this game, in the entire world, in the yes. entire world, do you think you will? Uh, this record will be broken. Yeah, 
yeah, there are a lot of mistakes I made. And one of the uh, things I wanted to encourage people to do is come be my town. Like, go to speedrun.com, join the Discord. This is a lot of fun to play. Uh, one of the reasons uh, the Game Boy version of it is a lot of fun to play is it renders really well on the Mac uh, M1. Oh. Uh, so I use Open EMU. The community doesn't frown on emulators. Oh, you're doing uh, this in an emulator. Yeah. This you're not. Oh. I don't. I play on original hardware, oh. but you don't have to with this community. So oh, there's okay. a really low barrier to entry as opposed to, you know, other games where you've got to buy a retro tank and an original NES and something right. to record it with. Like there's a really high barrier. Uh, so come join our community, speed run this game with me, and uh, maybe you can beat my Prince's Feach time. I'd love to see. It. <laughs> That's so fun. That's awesome. How ma- okay, well, I, I'm not going to watch the whole thing, <laughs> but I'm tempted to. I'm really enjoying it. Bria- if you want to watch it, it's on Vimeo on Brianna's channel, Brianna Wu, or you go there to speedrun.com and there learn you all go. about it. Wow. That is so interesting. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good use of my time. Good use of my time. Back in the 1990s, can you imagine that you people would be doing speed runs like this and posting them yeah. for, for records? What gets me is everyone there is like 20 years younger than me, and they're obsessed with these games like we were back then. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I can understand why you're obsessed. You know? You're like a baby duck. You got imprinted with it because right. you were a kid. Yeah. But to, for a young person today to go back in time and play an old game is interesting. But I get, yeah, are the games really not as good these days or? I think it's because it's on a cartridge. There are just fewer ways to yeah, cheat yeah, yeah. these older NES games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and there's something magical. What's the emulator about. you recommend for the M1? I use OpenEMU. It's Open great. Emu. It works okay. better. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. Sorry, Daniel. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. <laughs> Let's talk about Microsoft. This was an interesting week because first Meta had an event. Uh, on Tuesday, and then Microsoft had an event on Wednesday. And Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, did not show up for the Microsoft Surface announcement. It was Panos Panay. He did show up for Mark Zuckerberg's meta announcement, which is a confusing signal to send. I know know Satya was at the Ignite conference, and there were many more talks later in the day. It was a weird message to say, uh, oh, and Mark Zuckerberg's walk us over. And, oh, look, who's here? Satya Nadella. Uh, but this was, I think, important to their strategy because they were – Meta announced, of course, their new uh, pro version of the Quest, $1,500 pro version of the Quest. Uh, and what was weird is they didn't focus on gaming at all. They focused on productivity. And Microsoft was there to announce that you're going to be able to use Windows 11 with the uh, with the new Quest, and you're going to be able to use Office with the new Quest. Is it was it? Did it seem odd to you that Satya was at this event and not his own? I don't think so because Microsoft's ever since he you know took his job as CEO has taken this position of Microsoft is very open and willing to work with any other company that will basically have them. Uh, they're, they're getting away from the closed ecosystem thing. And while Microsoft is building its own metaverse and using its own tools and doing its own thing with HoloLens and whatever comes next after the recent reorganization, uh, they want to be where the technology is going. You know, maybe Facebook's meta system will take off and do very well. And why would they want to join later on 
versus being on the bottom floor. If it, it takes off and becomes the next Facebook, they're right there with their own productivity tools with Microsoft Teams and everything else. Um, you know, so I think it's actually a smart move. Uh, we don't know the status of their own hardware, what they're going to do. There's rumors, you know, of course, that they have a partnership with Samsung to build some kind of headset. We're not really too sure what that's going to be. We don't know the future of HoloLens in terms of enterprise use. Uh, so I think this is a, a a safe bet for them in terms of making sure that their software and services are being continued to be used no matter who builds the hardware. I'm pretty positive whatever Apple comes out with. Microsoft will want to be there as well and have all their apps and services that are relevant to that platform be right there for their customers. And I think it's a, it makes sense instead of just being everything focused on Microsoft, you know, in their hardware, they just want to be open and be wherever they can. It used to be Microsoft's mission statement that they would, there would be a computer on every desk in every home running Microsoft software. Now, Satya Nadella says, we want to be where our customers are. So this is, right. is it hedging their bets that HoloLens won't take off or just saying, we don't care anymore. We're not a platform company anymore. We're we're uh, more of a services com- company, I guess. I think it's because they're a services company, yeah. right? Uh, and yeah. HoloLens, the mission statement there is a little bit, we're not really too sure anymore. Uh, HoloLens is augmented. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> well, mission statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we're not sure, yeah. right? I mean, my, work, my work, my not. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, it's augmented reality and it's built, you know, right. like I was just at uh, in Israel with Intel, uh, they're using it within the foundries and the fab to both train people on how to fix the equipment and also for remote help using the equipment. So if someone's ha- a tech is having a problem fixing something, someone can remote in, see what they're seeing, and then literally overlay in real time tools or pointing to things and you want to do this and that. So that's an example of how HoloLens in an industrial use is being used, but it's future in terms of uh, more enterprise use for this idea of like being in virtual meetings. You know, I'm not really sure HoloLens quite has that role as is because this is more blurring into like a virtual reality where you're actually going to another world, you know, and Alex Kitman, before he technically left Microsoft, although he's still there apparently as a consultant, um, you know, he did have this idea that eventually HoloLens would switch over to uh, a virtual reality. There's this concept, of course, of having a clear glass where you can use AR and then it can change intent to dark mode. That's tech is probably still a little bit out. So instead of what these companies are doing or just using front-facing cameras to simulate the, you know, so you can actually see where you are. And then it's just usually on the inside where it's dark and you can create a virtual reality. That's sort of a, you know, a half step until this other technology, I think, uh, becomes reality. Alex Kipman's uh, keynote last year uh, for HoloLens was the one that famously kind of descended into a uh, Burning Man dance (laughs) festival. (laughs) Uh, in some sort of weird uh, way. And by the way, there's Guy La Liberté, who is the founder of Cirque du Soleil, about to take Alex on a, on a magic carpet ride into, into the future. Um, interestingly, also in the news, right about the same time, the U.S. Army is uh, starting to report that soldiers are getting sick in, in the HoloLens. Remember that Microsoft did a $22 billion oh. deal with the army yep. to provide uh, HoloLens for uh, uh, combat uh, troops, the devices would have gotten us killed, according to an army report leaked. Um, 
and and they also said this is uh, Bloomberg and Business Insider same day saw this uh, story. They also said that eighty percent of the soldiers were nauseated <laughs> under three hours. Not ideal for combat um, uh, missions. Is and so with Kitman leaving, the rumors flying that Hololens that Microsoft is backing off on Hololens, uh, and then this Satya Nadella showing up at Meta. You don't think that that's a indicator that Microsoft maybe has lost confidence in Hololens? Uh, well, they did split the organization into hardware and software, and so what you saw with Facebook and Meta, I should say, is the software, software. division continuing their work. Yeah. Uh, in terms of hardware, we don't know. They do have a hardware division dedicated to this. There is also this con- so there's this contract with the military. There's also a supposed contract with Samsung, where Samsung is going to build the hardware and use some of Microsoft's technology. We don't know much more about that in terms of what's the um, the goal. Is that a consumer device? Is it more enterprise? We've really don't know. And we don't know since the reorg, you know, what they're planning on doing. Are they going to continue with uh, HoloLens 3, which was technically scrapped for a while? Are they going to try to aim more towards the consumer ends? Uh, So we're going to have to wait and find out what their plans are. I would imagine they still have a lot of uh, tech that they innovated in this area. It would be weird that they would just... um, give up and not use it right now. But we'll have to kind of see, you know, as leaks come out or Microsoft gives a presentation on what they are planning next. The new quest is a kind of a classic VR play. You're, you you can't see through it like you can with a HoloLens, but they do have outward facing cameras and they say now it's in color. So it's kind of more like a, I guess, mixed reality is the term that Microsoft uses and probably the right term for this. Neither VR nor yeah. AR, but a mixed reality. Mm. But I, and this is, I want to bring Brianna and Sam in on this as well. There's a lot of speculation that Meta has, somebody said Meta should have uh, made this an R&D project, not the future, not mm. bet the future of the company on it. They've spent $15 billion. They're doing about $10 billion a year on this. Brianna, do you, I feel like one of the reasons you're seeing Microsoft showing up at Meta, probably doing deal with Apple, is that no one really knows how this landscape is going to play out. So everybody's kind of hedging their bets until, you know, once somebody starts to win, then everybody, then it all changes, of course. But that we've seen that before in our right. technologies. But my question is, is anybody going to win? Is this a technology anybody wants at all? You know, I, I had a really surreal experience. Uh, and I mean this with all respect to Emily Chang. I love her. I've been on her show on Bloomberg many, many times. Fantastic person. Love her. But something the last time uh, I was on, I noticed is it was, um, it was a few times ago. It was the day that Facebook announced uh, the meta transformation. And there was this discussion on Wall Street. Oh, meta. What is, the, what is it going to be? What is, are they going to create? And it was all these Wall Street people like with these, you know, like, um, you know, um, Heinlein-esque visions of the future about what it could be. And for me as a technologist, I'm sitting there listening to it, just analyzing the news that came out in a very different way. And the impression I got from that was this was more of a move for Wall Street to present a vision for Facebook in the in the future. Um, just like you were telling us before the show that you kind of had to be talked out of the Surface 9, you know, uh, Meta comes out with I should the say, Oculus. Um, I yeah. did buy the Quest Pro. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there it is. The but Quest Pro. That's partly because yeah. it has a 30 day return policy. Sure. But also, um, I feel like it's important for me to do the due diligence 
hundred percent. Every few, I was, uh, I, I did the Kickstarter for the original Oculus Quest. I, oh, wow. I, I want to give it a chance. Right. I don't want to write it off completely, but every time I try it, I say, well, clearly we're not ready for prime time. It's making me sick. It made 80% of the army sick. Right. Um, I don't, I think that this is a technology that seems like a good idea, but we don't yeah, have the means yet. And, and that's 100% my point that, you know, I bought the original, um, I have every VR system that exists because I've, I've done development on this. Right? Oh, have you? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. 100%. So it makes sense for gaming. I think it completely makes sense for gaming. It can, but I have the exact same. It's like I buy a quest. It's a really fun 28, uh, 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. And then it lives then in the like drawer. Never again. I bought the quest yeah. too. Yeah. I had a really fun, like seeing how much better Beat Saber was. And then it lived in a drawer. And I'm asking myself when it comes to these kinds of meetings with people, do I think there's any chance I'm actually going to sit down and ever have a VR meeting with someone? I just, I, I don't see that ever happening this isn't a new phase for 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 facebook they acquired oculus in 2014 when the stories first started coming out and now eight years later the question is where's the users where's the use case for this where are people wanting to have this experience it just it does not exist unfortunately ben thompson writing about this in stratechery he got a uh, an interview with zuck and nadella uh together uh kind of came out somewhat bullish on this. He says, VR does have real utility, but I think utility will be realized in the enterprise first, in part because the value of VR only becomes apparent when you use it and you're more likely to use it if your company pays for it. He also says Microsoft is well-placed to deliver that utility on top of Meta hardware. Uh, Meta is likely to be the catalyst for VR becoming a widely used technology. Now, he doesn't mention Apple at all, I also feel like a lot of this was a rush to get out in front of the market before Apple announces something early next year. Sam, do you think that's that's what's going on? That that wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, Meta has been, you know, Facebook's been trying to find something new, uh, you know, aside from the things that they've bought and copied. You know, they've never really created anything new since the beginning of Facebook. The news feed um, was the last. Yeah, I guess. Thing. Yeah, that yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, you know, when when you see a potential competitor, you know, another potential competitor, one with very deep pockets, you know, that is potentially doing something that could be disruptive to your business. Yeah, you may want to jump into that. A lot but of companies said, the, oh, we should have paid attention when the iPhone came along. Microsoft famously, Steve Ballmer said, ah, it's too expensive. Nobody's going to buy it and regretted that, lived to regret that. Uh, do you think they're worried that the same thing will happen? That's that's certainly a possibility. I mean, yeah, nobody nobody wants to be left behind when there's something big. You know, I mean, when you, when you look at the phone, the smartphone space, you know, Google and, and Samsung, you know, are the, you know, really the only ones who were able to respond quickly enough to, to the iPhone, you know, to put up real viable competition. I mean, Windows was too little, too late with Windows phone, you know, uh, and, you know, I think like most platforms, there's probably not room for more than, you know, maybe two at most three platforms. So, you know, whoever's, whoever, gets a foothold early on um, and it won't necessarily be the first one out the door. I mean, there were, there were lots of uh, companies that made MP3 players before the iPod came along. That's right. There were lots of smartphones before the iPhone. 
Um, so it's not necessarily the first that is going to succeed, but whoever does it right first, whoever comes up with a good product first is going to have a better chance of success. And then maybe the second and, and the third, but most likely only the second will, will really have an opportunity to be competitive with, you know, with them because, you know, because of all the platform lock-in challenges, but, you know, the, Going back to, you know, what, what Brianna and, and Daniel said, and I think you said, you know, this is not something that I want to use, you know, even in, and there are some, some good applications for this. You know, some of the training stuff that's done with systems like HoloLens is really useful. I've seen some really good applications for VR, for example, in design, in yeah, product Ford, design. Ford showed us. Yeah. Every, every, every automaker does yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I first saw the Lucid Air in 2016, you know, I was with their head of design, uh, you know, and he put a put an HTC Vive on my head and he gave me a design walk around with that, you know, before seeing the actual car, um, you know, and being able to, you know, and it's not just cars, but, you know, any kind of product design, uh, you know, that it's a it's a great use case for that. But for things like meeting with people, um, you know, I don't want to sit around with a with a headset on you know, for four, five, six, eight hours a day. That is just not something people, I don't, people are not going to want to do that. I've, I've done that, you know, I've done shorter stints, um, you know, briefings with, I did a briefing with an automaker last year uh, where they sent out uh, Quest headsets um, to do this, do this briefing in the, the Quest environment. And, you know, the thing, once you put that headset on, you know, it's like if I'm in a meeting or, you know, in a briefing, you know, I want to take notes, you know, whether it's handwritten notes or type, you know, I, I want to be able to take notes, um, sometimes, you know, recording stuff. You can't do that when you're in a VR headset. Um, it's, it's just a terrible environment to spend it's, extended periods of time in for work. It really makes me ask, what's the problem it's trying to solve? I mean, I, uh, yeah. Zoom meetings maybe not the best thing in the world, uh, but no, no, neither are in-person meetings. But they work, and I'm not sure why it would be better to do Teams in an Oculus uh, Pro. Daniel, do you do you agree? Disagree? Do you think that that's the future of meetings? Yeah, you know, it's like I see augmented reality where you still see that your world around you and holograms and everything there is the real goal of all this and that seems to me it's gonna be really interesting but i feel like that's still so many years off from being a reality for average people you know who can't afford a three thousand dollar headset and even there the use case it's like we still need smarter technology to make use of it you know like this idea of like and it's kind of scary right walking around but it you have a camera on there visually ids a person and brings up their info automatically uh or you can id stuff quickly and look it up uh, almost like being a cyborg right like I, I feel like that's where all this will eventually go and that makes sense but this idea of like a vr headset and don't forget microsoft years ago showed off what they called a hollow portation where they used a, like a room had a bunch of cameras in it and it would scan you and it would create a hologram of the person and this idea of like, you know, in the future, we may have like little setups in our homes that does that. Like that's a little bit more realistic in a sense, because you're still like in your environment. You could still take notes. You can still do stuff while you see a hologram of a person. And I think that makes sense for 
but again, limited cases. And I, I bet Apple, you know, Apple's play here is rumored to be a, along the, the, you know, iMessage and, you know, making video calls. And I'm sure it's going to be something along those lines where it's connecting like FaceTime, a virtual FaceTime. And I think that might work in this idea of like you're making limited calls to people and having that, but not necessarily meetings. Um, yeah, I, I don't really see a huge use case for it. You know, Sam mentioned some really good issues, right? Taking notes, I think, is a pretty big limitation if you're going to be in a meeting all day. But um, I, Yeah, I mean, is this yeah. a better way or is this just another way? So I think there's a group think mentality when everybody in Silicon Valley is going, yeah, yeah, VR, VR, AR, AR, Mixstar, that there's this kind of thing like, oh, well, they must know what they're talking about. And, and the more people do it, but I think... Is it possible they just could be completely wrong and that they're sure. that, that Facebook's well, going to spend absolutely. $10 billion a year and tens of thousands of engineers on something that is just never going to take off? Remember when 3D we, came back? Can we, yeah, we 3D, 3D TV phones, is a really good example. 3D TVs, yeah. even 3Ds at movie theaters. Like it just kind of came, it peaked a little bit and just, you know, no one did the 3D TV thing, right? And it seemed like a great idea. Like, why not? But uh, it, it just never caught on. Nobody wanted to wear the glasses. Yeah. And, can we, and can we go through history? Yeah. Sorry, I, I just want to say, can we go through history here a bit? What I find really interesting about all of this is think through the history of the computer industry. Before word processors and spreadsheets were easy to use, geeks, people like us, we saw that. We were early adopters. We were like, this is such a good experience. We're willing to put up with the headaches and we pushed through. We did that exact same pattern for MP3 players before it became something like the iPhone. We did it with personal data assistance back when it was the Palm Pilot. We did it on the internet when it was the 2400 baud modem that you were dialing into. There's a pattern of us for all of us here that we see the value in these things and we jump in early and we deal with the headaches and we put our, our foot down with all of that. I think it is so important to this that everyone on the show today has tried VR. We've given it a fair shake. And as we're all saying, it's something that lives in a drawer eventually. There is something that's just fundamentally not useful about any of this. And even for the case, like you're talking about, Daniel, like the, the HoloLens uh, presentation a while back, Zuckerberg had two uh, avatars he put out. One was a cartoony, silly looking thing. The other one was like a photorealistic thing for him to like put his vision forward. What I saw with that as a game developer was something that the average consumer is going to have to spend $25,000 yeah. having a team yeah. of people yeah. make with ZBrush <laughs> and normal mapping and rigging and texture mapping and painting wrinkles into the skin and all this other stuff that no one is ever going to do. And I just don't see people spending that money. And I don't think this is a process that can be automated in a way that looks anywhere remotely real. Like you'll get to where it just looks like, a, you know, do you remember the N64 contest where they would put your face on a Bond character for you? Oh, we'll get that good, yeah. but it's not going to, it's not going to look like that. what's, yeah. well, it, it, it was just cheesy. You can <laughs> cheat it with displacement maps to a certain extent, but you're talking about something so high poly that then you're talking about 
the only way to make that data smaller is to do a decimation pass on it, which is a professional, like you can't automate that. That is judgment. So there's just all these things here. And it's like, this is not going to be better than Zoom. And you're taking a hundred times the processing power and it's going to cost more and you're going to feel sick all day. You you said something interesting. When, for instance, the first time you hit the slash key in VisiCalc, uh, the first time I saw an Instagram photo, I always, I think, maybe it's re- it's it's editing retroactively, but I think you knew immediately this is something. Yeah. And you said, yeah, this is, wow, I got it. This is something. And I don't think, I don't feel that way at all about uh, VR. This is always the challenge for anybody who's covering tech because there's a lot of stuff tech comes up with that isn't, that is a non-starter. Is James Bond, uh, you know, characters on your face or vice versa. Uh, and, and then there's a lot of, then there's every once in a while, there's something you go, you look at and you go, yeah, that's something. That's it. That's going to change the world. The iPhone, when it first came out, really was kind of overpriced and kind of not very, it couldn't cut and paste, but there was something there. And the same time we looked at the Newton and it was like, there's nothing there. You just kind of, and maybe that's my memory rather than the facts, but I think you kind of, no, there was a great uh, tweet storm earlier this week by a guy who's working at Waymo now, Warren Craddock, but he has worked on a lot of, he tweets, I worked on a number of high profile failures. And he talks about the Lytro, Lightfield camera, the Google Glass and Google Clips, which is that little box that would take your life story and pictures. And he said, every one of them had a fatal flaw. Everyone working on them saw the flaw. But the teams that were working on it purposely ignored the flaw. And he goes on in this. And I think it's really interesting. The example of the clips thing, which I had, was really cool. It was a little box. It would take pictures of your whole day, then upload them, and you could go through your day. The problem was it wasn't where your eyes are. It was where your chest is. So all the pictures, and he says this, they were just wrong because that's not the what, that's not the point of view we're looking for. Uh, and the teams that make them aren't the best judges because they're they're invested now. Uh, but when end users get Google Glass, they immediately go, "What? No." Is uh, Daniel? Do you trust your instinct when it comes to new products like that? Do you say, "Yeah, I can tell." Yeah, I mean, so let me give an example of something I do think has value, and I think it's really interesting. It reminds me of when I was doing some neuroscience years ago. It was always funny because we do the the human brain and we've learned a lot about neuroscience over the years, but we still don't understand how the mind works on a biological level. Just no idea. And part of it's because we don't understand fundamentals of neurons yet. Uh, And there was a there was a neurologist years ago and he he wrote a book and he said, like, we should we should master how a snail brain works first and then work our way. Jeff Hawkins. Uh, no, but I'm sure he would agree with Jeff it. Hawkins um, wrote a great book about this. In fact, he started a company. He said, we're not we're no von Neumann machine is ever going to duplicate the brain because it's not massively parallel enough. So he's trying to yeah. create and I think with and no success at this point, but trying to recreate chips that duplicate that massively parallel brain. Anyway, I'm sorry to mean to interrupt. No, it's fine. Uh, and so there's an example here with, you know, the VR, AR and all that, which is like Lenovo just announced a couple of weeks ago. They're called the. Um, T1 glasses, I believe they're called. They're coming out early next year. And it's a stripped down, simplified, single purpose device. They're glasses you put on. 
They have a USB-C cable. You can plug into your phone or you can plug into your computer. It doesn't require any software. And all it does is project a second display. It's just a screen. And it's just a screen that sits in front of you. It's got really nice resolution. You know, I could actually see this working. Yeah. So if you're on a PC, say you're in public, you could actually turn your PC's display off and just use these, which is really good if you think about for people working on sensitive documents or anything that they don't want other people to see around them. Or you can use it literally as a second display. So you could just have two displays floating. And it doesn't require any extra, uh, you know, CPU power because they have another pair of glasses that are – that do require like a massive GPU that do, does all the AR stuff, right? These don't have a front-facing camera. You can almost wear them sort of like normal glasses because uh, you could still see out in the world just fine. You can plug them into even your iPhone. They will have an adapter or work with your iPhone. And you can like walk around with your phone in your pocket and, and watch movies. Whatever. Wow. Yeah. These would be and great like, on an airplane in a coach seat. Absolutely. Exactly. This is so cool. Exactly. And it's you micro OLED, which is a very high-end yep. These might be expensive. We don't. You don't have a price yet, right? Uh, they're trying to. They told me they they were like to get them between five and eight hundred dollars, but they That's, haven't settled. See, price. this is much it's, more interesting than, than anything right. we've been talking yeah. about because it tra- purpose, it's less ambitious. Down, yeah, yeah. Like you look at it and you like what I just described. You either need it or you don't. Right. Like there's not going to be like really in between people like, yeah, but do I really, you know, was it do what, what problem does it solve? Well, it solves a simple problem, which is it just gives you a second virtual display in front of you. And if you think like if, you know, an Apple watch is a great example, and this is something where Apple really has a leg up. You can use your phone in the pocket, use the Apple watch someday could just become the actual mouse and thing you interact with to control the glasses and anything you're seeing. Right. There's a lot of opportunity here for that kind of technology. I think if we step back, and you look at this, I think this, you know, is way more interesting, way more practical and pragmatic for real world you, usage. You say in your article on Windows Central, it just makes sense. This is exactly what I was talking yeah. about. You Sometimes you look at a product, you go, oh, yeah. And you know why this makes sense? It's like, this is like headphones for your eyes. This is yeah. like any place you would wear headphones to listen to audio, these, you would wear these like at, in bed or on a plane. It's like headphones for your eyes. And then you, and it, it clicks. You go, oh, yeah. Not, not necessarily everybody's going to buy this, but that makes sense. So yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, you, And they have speakers built in. You can yeah. like listen to it. So yeah, you can watch a movie on them, do whatever you want. I can see myself in bed at night, you know, and I don't want to keep yeah. everybody up. Yeah, another great example. Yeah, you could stay yeah. in bed and do whatever and you won't wake up your partner. Yeah. yeah. I, I need to take a break. I want to show you another. We're not done with this. And I, and I kind of want to tie this into. in. So I saw, and I'm sure you saw it too, Sam, an article that said after hundreds of billions of dollars and 20 years self-driving cars are no farther along than (laughs) they're still not happening and i'm wondering if we are in this situation in tech right now uh where we're kind of peak tech for smartphones and and things like like google's you know pixel 7 is basically a pixel 6 and apple's iphone 14 is basically an iphone 13 if we're at this stage where our existing technology is peaked and companies are scrambling to find the next new thing, but they're wasting a lot of money on stuff that isn't going to go anywhere, like maybe AR, VR, maybe self-driving cars. So put a pin in that because I want to keep this conversation going. Great panel here, Sam Samad, our car guy from Wheel Bearings, the podcast, also a principal researcher at Guidehouse Insights. He lives in Ypsilanti, folks, and drives a Miata. So you know he's cool, right? <laughs> what year Miata? 
1990. The original. Built in October of 89. Built 33, 33 years ago this month. Brianna's jealous. She's a boxster, though. She likes her Porsches. She's oh, she's she's got a great uh, fleet herself. <laughs> fleet is right. <laughs> Brianna Wu is also here. Rebellion Pack, of course, is her political action committee. Are you very busy right now? We've got a big, important, vital election it, it, coming up. We are extremely busy right now, uh, but my work is mostly done at this point. It's just getting the money in, sending yeah. out the checks, Get those ad- so. and, and TV ads. Right, that's the focus. We've done a lot of that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm crossing my fingers, Brianna, as I'm well, sure you we'll are. we'll see how it shakes out. Yep. Very important stuff. And from Windows Central, the great Daniel Rubino. It's a good panel today. Lots more to talk about. But first, a word from our sponsor. I'll tell you one thing that when I first encountered it more than 10 years ago, I went, oh, brilliant. This is, this is, is going to go somewhere. Stamps.com. Because you don't have to go to the post office to get stamps. Okay, that's obvious. That's great. You don't have to have a postage meter either. You print them out with your computer and your printer. In fact, it gets better. You can do anything you can do at the post office. You can do it at stamps.com. Prepare it all. Get it ready. And then a uniformed employee of the federal government will come and pick it up. You don't even have to get out of your seat. Now, that's awesome. But Stamps.com keeps getting better and better because now Stamps.com has all the services of UPS. So now you sit down at Stamps.com, you say, this is what I need to mail. It will tell you, it has a switch and save feature. It'll tell you what the rates are with both carriers. You know that you're getting the best deal you can choose. It's it's an amazing tool for anybody who does mailing, not just shipping, but mailing. So even if you're just sending out bills or brochures, uh, need I remind you the holidays are coming and that is that's it's amateur hour at the post office. That's when everybody's in the post office getting their Christmas stuff mailed. You don't need to be there. Stamps.com can do it all. A 24/7 post office with no lines, no traffic, no hassle right in your office. Stamps.com has been a partner of our shows and we've been happy customers since 2012. So my question is, you've heard me talking about them, why haven't you what are you waiting for? Why haven't you tried them? Now with UPS services, every dollar counts and you can save on USPS and UPS rates up to 86% off. Discounts you cannot get at the post office or the UPS store. You can use stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. Just a computer and a printer is all you need. If you need a package pickup, pick up, you schedule it through the stamps.com dashboard. You'll always have the latest rates and the latest stamps. Prices change. So, you know, you can always have the new stamps always ready anytime. A great way to do an online store because stamps.com knows about online stores and will pick up the mailing addresses from your software. No typing at all on your part. It'll fill out forms for certified mail and express mail, all the different kinds of mail you need to do, even customs forms if you mail internationally. It could put your return address on there automatically. Logos from your company will print right on envelopes right on envelopes even, print out a sticker for your for your packages. Look, this is the time to get Stamps.com. Get ahead of the holiday chaos. It's just around the corner, and you will be using it all year round. Stamps.com. Here's my deal. I want you to go to Stamps.com and click the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the offer code TWIT. This is, this is the best deal they offer. A four-week trial, of course. You get a free 
digital scale, so you always have exactly the right amount of postage. It just makes you look more professional. You get a huge amount of free postage. You can use no long-term commitments. There's no contract. Just month to month. Go to stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the page. Use the code TWIT, though, for this offer. Really good bonus offer. Stamps.com. We thank them so much for their support of This Week in Tech. You support us, too, by the way, when you go to stamps.com and use that offer code TWIT. Google didn't want to be left out, by the way, of all of this. They showed The Verge, Jay Peters of The Verge, their project Starline. We saw this at Google I.O. last year. I mean, talk about something that's going to cost a lot of money. You get a special booth with all of these cameras and stuff. However, Jay said it was very realistic. This is a 3D video chat booth. Uh, he said it was just like I was sitting across from the person. And when they showed me an Apple, I felt like I could reach out and touch it. Obviously, this is not something you're going to have in your house anytime soon. It is a very complicated, with array microphones and stereo cameras and infrared projectors. And I mean, it's a, but it's, it works. In fact, maybe it's more natural than putting on a visor and going to a Teams meeting. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Google says, well, we, we think there's another way to go. This is Silicon Valley groupthink, or is this really some insight into the future of business? Brianna? I I could I could see this working. This this is interesting to me. It's kind of like they cribbed from uh, the last Mission Impossible movie, uh, Ghost Protocol, if you remember that scene at the Kremlin where they're they're faking the perspective. Well, you would definitely, you would definitely, yeah. I could see this uh, White House and Kremlin hotline working like yeah. this. It would work much 100%. better, right? Much, much better. Yeah. I, I could see this, this working. I mean, it's feasible technology. It's existed for a while. It's a very expensive implementation of it. But I mean, this is like Zoom meeting times a yeah. million. So, so maybe um, this is a better direction yeah. to go in than, than getting everybody sitting around in a visor. By the way, always one of my complaints, and apparently I'm not alone is that Project Horizon or Horizon World, which is uh, Meta's uh, meeting place, and you saw this uh, in the HoloLens demo, Alex Kipman had no legs. Legs are hard, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Meta announced, Zuckerberg said, oh, no, we're going to have legs, except we now learned that that whole thing was motion captured and fake. So, yeah, I mean, without sensors on your legs, you know, they'd be flopping around. I mean, you don't know... How to move them? Yeah, where's that? You where know, you, if legs? you've got controllers, if you've got controllers in your hands, you can you can figure out you know what the arms should be doing. But unless you put something on your legs, it's going to be hard to do that realistically. It was interesting that the Microsoft, I'm sorry, Meta actually said this was the most demanded feature <laughs> in Horizon Worlds was legs. Uh, interesting rumor that Apple, which I think the Apple VR is rumored to have 14 cameras, two of them are pointed at your legs. Hmm. So I, I have a little bit of technical insight on this. Um, so think about a video game, like uh, uh, something like uh, Resident Evil 3, right? Where you're moving Jill around. You're using a thumbstick, right? So where Jill's feet go or where any 3D character, uh, their feet go as you're walking is actually a really complicated problem. Like you can cheat it with IK joints, uh, inverse kinematic uh, joints in the legs. But when it comes to like things like walking upstairs, we have 
all these like uh, animation tree cheats that we use where your foot will magnetically snap to every single step as you go up it. It's actually a really hard problem, but one that we've been doing in video games for really since the PS2 era and people just generally don't notice it. So I saw this and thought it was uh, honestly a really good implementation of something we don't. Yeah, this is from the meta video. These people. Right. They even have stools, but there's nothing below the waist for yeah. them to. I could see That's how it's terrible. hard to do, even if you have it, cameras. I could see how it'd be very hard to do. But that you, breaks the immersion. It totally does. It's creepy and weird. Yeah. Um. Okay, and 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 apparently Meta hasn't solved it because the the whole video that that uh, they they showed of Mike of of Mark and and his. Uh, co-host dancing around with their legs was faked <laughs> so oh we're not gosh. you know they know that you, it's all, important all, the, all they're doing is corporatizing second life <laughs> that that game it does look ago. like second yeah. life yeah that's all this is but it's, didn't you have, just, wait a minute you got legs in second life <laughs> right yeah so there is that not even as good as second life was 20 years ago right so uh i i feel like uh there's clearly a disconnect here that these guys have read a lot of science fiction. So have we, we, you know, we've read the Neil Stevenson books, you know, we know snow crash. We're a long way off in, in those books. They're jacking in, they're connecting something to the brain. This is not. And one of the hardest things that is absolutely vital to reality is this thing about moving, not just showing your legs, just moving. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, Brianna, but in all the VR I've done, you have some, you have to have some workaround for moving, like a rubber band mm-hmm. that you send with the controller and then it goes, sucks you over there because you can't really move because you'll walk into your real wall yeah. or coffee table. This is a big oh, It's problem. exactly right. It was to stop you from throwing up too. And we don't have, like- I mean, we do have, but nobody really wants to use the Ready Player One Omni... <laughs> <laughs> treadmill. To, to, to treadmill thing that's weird i mean somebody does make it but you have to be suspended by ropes and it's not a good experience i mean this why does anybody think this is even close to happening i i don't know i i see the leg thing i see a, a technically good cheat and i think at some point we're gonna have to think about the computational power that you're, how would you you're move? using on this how stuff? do you move without walking into the into the coffee table uh, you can't. You can't I mean, move. It's the bottom line. You, you need this a big studies, empty room. I mean, a really big that. empty room. Yeah. yeah. Studies have also shown that women are much more uh, susceptible to VR sickness as well. So if you've played these early VR games where you just hold forward and uh, you just walk through a level by pushing on a control stick, that is like a formula for making women throw up. It just is. And a lot of dudes I too. Throw up too. So, yeah. 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 Well, I don't throw up, but I definitely get nauseated. Although, to be fair, the most nauseated I've ever gotten was playing Quake on a uh, commuter bus. And that wasn't in VR. That was just because the bus was going this way and Quake was going that way. And it was it was not a pretty picture. Uh, I still get sick sometimes on uh, if I have a big enough screen on, on just a regular 2D game. So maybe I'm the bad example of this. Well, I mean, uh, this, this past week I was um, moderating a conference here in Detroit on uh, simulation put on by a company called VI Grade. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, one, one of the things that these, this company makes is these big motion simulators for 
driving dynamics development. You know, so you basically put a, a vehicle, almost a full vehicle on there and it, it moves around and simulates all the motions. And we were talking about, uh, an example back in the late nineties, uh, when I was still working in engineering, we built a simulation system, uh, using, it was powered by a Silicon Graphics Iris workstation. Big giant screen built it, you know, had a driving buck, but the driving buck had no motion. And we were using this for ABS and traction control and stability control development. And I always found it really hard. I could not drive this thing for more than a few minutes, you know, and I, I do test driving all the time and, you know, even more so in those days and, you know, doing all kinds of maneuvers. And I could not sit in this thing driving it for more than a few minutes because you've got this big screen that was quite immersive, but you had no physical feedback right. of the things that your eyes were seeing. And uh, it was, it was really hard. And, you know, so this is, this is a, a real issue. Um, you know, when you have that disconnect between the, your visual inputs and all of your other senses. Here we have, uh, by the way, thanks to the discord chat, Brianna, the stare, animation (laughs) it works perfectly it's completely convincing uh yeah it's the disconnect between what your eyes are telling you and what your body is telling you your inner ear is telling you and your eyes are telling you and it is the fud i think the fud that's spread by the vr industry that oh all we have to do is get latency down and resolution up and you you'll be fine and i don't think that's it I really don't. Yeah. I think it's also the disconnect between your focal length that's being uh, uh, tre- t- telegraphed by your convergence point because your eyes are looking at the screen that's right here. So you're converging on this screen that's inches from you. And what your brain is telling you, the focal point is, which is 10 feet out. If those don't match, as you know, your body says, you ate something bad. Throw it up now. That is bad yeah. mushrooms. Plus, yeah. Plus, I don't think we also know the long-term effects of looking at a screen inches from your eye all day. Well, long. that's a good point, too. I, know, I mean, I know with the pandemic, because I spent more time indoors than usual, uh, my eyesight actually got worse. Yeah, because you don't have this, the distance focus, right? You're always right, focusing yeah, close. You, yeah. You're supposed to, like, every, was it, 10 minutes or something yeah. like that, look out of the window and yeah. refocus your eyes. And if I don't do that, yeah, my eye, and it, it stinks if you go to the eye doctor and you didn't train them you'll get a worse prescription right so like i don't know how this is going to affect our it's eyes it's going to be like the jerk where steve martin invented those glasses yeah. things everybody ends up cross-eyed <laughs> yeah we've invented something that'll make everybody very very nearsighted yeah can we can we come back to the oculus pro for just a second yes. here because this ties into something we're talking about you know one of the things they're really promoting here versus the the first version of the quest is the pass through on it so it has cameras on it and you can push a button and uh it will show you the 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 world around you in color and they're trying to promote that as as like you know ar right but it's it's not augmented it's a camera that's not where your eyesight is oh that's really it, bad almost certainly going uh. to have a certain amount of latency. Every time I've used this feature on a Quest or any um, VR system before, it makes me really, really, really nauseous. And I feel like they're just papering right over that problem when we're going to experience this. Uh, like if you're in the supposed Quest Pro meeting and you're reaching down at your desk to take notes, you know, this camera is not going to solve it. You're still going to feel sick using that. So, 
let me take this over to self-driving vehicles because the same this is that thing I posited before the last break. I I saw an article that says we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars on self-driving vehicles and they still aren't self-driving. Is that a fair uh, categorization, Sam? So, you know, the industry as a whole has spent somewhere in the order of about $100 billion over the last 12, 15 years on automated driving. Um, but there is a there is a very big difference here. You know, and, you know, if you take a Tesla and they're fake full self-driving, um, you know, I think the, the the guy that wrote this got it, got a lot wrong. This is article. Max Chafkin writing for business. Right. Week, we should. So, we should you know, this, this started from, you know, actually trying to solve some very specific problems. I mean, it, with the DARPA challenge, it started with, you know, trying to get vehicles that could go into um, combat zones, you know, and not have to take people in there. Um, but, you know, once it got into trying to get it trying to commercialize the technology, you know, it was, it was trying to solve some real problems around safety, traffic safety, um, mobility for people who can't drive, you know, to provide them with mobility. Um, and going back to what, uh, you know, the, the example of these Lenovo glasses that Daniel brought up, you know, the rest of the industry, apart from Tesla, you know, has actually recognized that, Doing a more focused approach, like what Lenovo is doing, you know, having a very specific task that you're doing with it, not trying to, you know, recognizing that, okay, this is a really hard problem to solve. Um, you know, they have actually made tremendous progress over the last 15 years, um, but not trying to do everything, but rather, you know, focus it on specific tasks. Uh, like robo taxis in urban environments, like last mile deliveries, automated trucking, um, where you're not trying to do, you're not trying to solve everything, but you're trying to do specific things. It can actually work quite well. Um, I was just in a, in a couple of vehicles, uh, earlier this week with a company, um, driving around Dearborn and it was not Ford. Um, but, uh, you know, driving around, riding, actually riding around Dearborn, you know, and the system was working really, really well. I was in San Francisco last month with Cruise, you know, and the system worked very, very well. I've seen a, a tremendous amount of progress, you know, early on, you know, this, these systems were very crude, um, but they, you know, we are getting to the point we've, we've got some real world. Um, driverless deployments going on now in San Francisco and Arizona. Uh, we're going to have quite a few more coming in 2023 from a number of different companies in places like Austin, Miami, San Diego, Las Vegas. Uh, and it's, it's slowly getting there, but the, the kind, you know, being more focused rather than trying to solve rather than trying to boil the ocean as Tesla want, seems to want to do, you know, they're trying to boil a pot of water first. And then once they get that going, then go to a, move to a bigger pot and, and so on. The article quotes uh, one of the early and best-known pioneers of self-driving, uh, Anthony Lewandowski, who, of course, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> trust anything that Lewandowski he, he, says. He uh, left Google under a cloud, uh, taking a bunch of documents with him, and Google sued and so forth. He has a new uh, startup that does uh, dump trucks. Basically, they're not even driving the roads; they're on industrial sites. He said, you'd be hard-pressed to find another industry that's invested so many dollars in R&D that's delivered so little 
Forget about profits. What's the combined revenue of all the robo-taxi, robo-truck, robo-whatever companies? It's like a million dollars or maybe not even that much, maybe zero. He also quotes George Hotz, who is, uh, you know, pretty, I think, pretty another, another person with zero credibility. Oh, okay. Field. All right. He's the guy who created Comma AI and uh, has a kind of an add-on that you can put in your car and mm-hmm. turn it self-driving. He says it's a scam. He's not his company, but well, self-driving. I mean, you know, George Hotz, you know, back in 2016, I was uh, chairing a conference in San Francisco. He was supposed to speak at that conference. And that, the, that morning I was walking into the event space for it and I checked my messages and I saw uh, a notification on their TechCrunch story that the day before or a couple of days before NHTSA had sent a letter to Kama AI saying, hey, we would like some more information about what you're doing. It wasn't threatening. They just they just, was just asking for information about what they were doing. Hots immediately pulled the plug on the whole project and said, nope, OK, we're, we're not going to do this because you know, he was the, he was the scammer. He, yeah. I mean, if anybody knows what it's a scam is, okay. it's him. Right. You know, what he was doing was never going to work. <clears throat> so these are two people who you would expect to actually be pretty dismissive of any attempt. Yes. Uh, by Waymo Absolutely. or Cruise to uh, do self-driving. Yeah. What's the time frame, Sam, for uh, level five? Uh, level five, probably never. Never. Um, mm. Or at least a very long time. Level five but, is true self-driving, right? Well, no. So. Level four and level five are both true self-driving. The distinction is level five can do it anywhere, anytime. Level four means you can do full self-driving within some uh, limited parameters. It might be limited to a geographic area. It might be limited based on weather conditions uh, or specific tasks. It's just, it's just has some kind of limited operating domain. So, you know, it's still self-driving. It's still fully automated. It's just it can't necessarily do it everywhere. And you can still get tremendous value out of doing it even in a limited environment. I do. I'm like you. I remember the early Grand DARPA challenges. We used to make fun of them on the screensavers 20 years ago. These cars mm-hmm. would go three feet and go off the road. I mean, it was they were really terrible and Let, very made yeah. a lot of progress really, really quickly. A few mm-hmm. years later, they were they were doing the whole challenge uh, they had to make it longer and more difficult because the cars got better. But isn't this always the case with AI that the 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 early stuff, the first eighty percent, is relatively easy? It's that last ten percent that kills you. Yeah, I mean, that was a rule of thumb I learned very early on in my engineering career. Is you know, the first ninety percent of any project takes ten percent of the effort, right? And then the last ten percent requires ninety percent of the effort. And you know, we're we're still you know very early on in that last ten percent. There's still a long way to go. But there are there are real world applications where this is being used today and that will continue to grow over the next several years. I just I want to back up what you're saying, Sam. I mean, I personally like you can go to my Twitter. I'm very, very skeptical Mm -hmm. of Elon and full self-driving. And I really I support the efforts of the uh, National Highway and Traffic Safety Institute to uh, look at what is happening there. That said, I would really encourage any of your listeners uh, or viewers that are, are skeptical about this, go out and try GM Super Cruise. I am not a GM fan. I would not own one of those cars, but it's a really really, really impressive technology. If I still had a job where like I had to drive into downtown Boston every single day, that's going to take care of 90% of it for you. 
Um, mm-hmm. And the reason is exactly what you're saying, Sam. It's a very limited use case. So I'm trying to drive down 95 and deal with the traffic there. And yes, I've got to keep my eyes on the road. I've got to be aware and ready to take over at every single minute, but it's going to do 90% of the work for me. That work is like that feature is something this our industry has been able to deliver at this point. And it's good. You know, Porsche has a variation of this. Um, I, I almost think like it's it's like we set our sights too high. It's not helped by Elon like hyping something that I just I frankly don't think is ever going to happen from my point of view. I think if we had set more attainable smaller goals and delivered that to people while working within this regulatory framework to keep the public safe. I think it would have been a better course of action. This is a uh, yeah, and that's what the rest of the industry is is trying to do. Is they're trying to do it safely, trying to yeah. you know each each thing before they release it to the public. Instead of having members of the public beta testing safety critical software, they're doing it internally with professionals, and only when they are highly confident that it's going to work reliably, then they release it. I mean, that's definitely true. I'm just going to say it's also because they're doing all that work only because Tesla is like cowboys in the West, right? They did this. They're putting out in the streets already, as you say, beta testing it with just regular people. I mean, it was them that that drove this, you know, whole industry. Now everybody else is doing it. Most of this effort started long before Tesla got involved in it. Um, Yeah, but I would say they really brought the attention to it. Yeah, Tesla brought it to the public's attention, but the the work was happening many years before um, before (laughs) Musk ever you know went down this path. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, same with electric cars. You know, he's taken all the sensors out except the cameras. Right? He's now says, yeah, all you need is cameras. You don't need lidar. You yeah. Um, he's wrong. So yeah, that seems like a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) So. then why is he doing it? Um, because, I mean, he's, cause he's um, doubling down because if it. he can, yeah. if he can get somebody to pay $15,000 for the full self-driving option on the vehicles, that is about $14,800 worth of pure profit. I wasted $5,000 on my model X for self-driving, which I never got in the, in, and then finally the lease ran out. And so I just gave it back. But, uh, I would never, never spend money on any promise of full self-driving. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, I, you know, I, I, on, you know, on, on the radio show, you talk all, and you know, on the podcast, you have always talked about, you know, never buy a piece of hardware, a product with the promise of what it might someday do. Buy it based on what it does Cause, today. Because it if, never if does you get, it. <laughs> if, and if you and if you get, if it improves over time, great, it's a bonus. But do not buy something expecting that someday it might do something it doesn't do today. I was kind of, then a, I was kind of a, a losing a sucker for Elon. I also bought the bioweapon defense mode. I bought the <laughs> oh, ludicrous <boy>. acceleration mode. <laughs> oh, I was a, yeah, oh boy. In hindsight, I look like an idiot. Maybe even in uh, foresight and middle sight, I look like an idiot. Uh, yeah, we had some reporting that came out that showed that Elon was trying to pressure all of his engineers to limit the camera to two cameras because he kept telling the engineering team that, look, humans have two eyes. That should be good. That should enough. do. That should be fine. Well, even how can it be so with, stupid? You're not. You got a car. You got two eyes, but you don't see everything that's happening around the car with your two eyes. Well, and, and, and cameras even, are cheap. How many cameras? 
are going to be are on the on the Quest Pro. Eleven. How many going to be on the Apple? Uh, reportedly fourteen. Why would you reduce it in a hundred thousand dollar vehicle to two? Well, and and they've got eight cameras on Tesla vehicles today. And the thing is, they're not even configured the way our human eyes are. Our human eyes are both looking in the same direction. And, you know, you, you can take advantage of the parallax of your two eyes seeing the same object from slightly different points of view to do depth perception. Tesla doesn't even do that. The cameras are all pointing in different directions. So you can't even, you can't even do accurate distance measurement with the way they have their cameras configured. <laughs> It's all their distance measurement is done by inference, which oh, is an wow. inherently bad way Ooh, to do that's it. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought they had sensors on the gull wing or falcon wing, whatever kind of wing doors oh. they had that it wouldn't hit anything. Right. I mean, I, I was certainly given that impression, but it kept hitting Lisa in the head. <laughs> she really hated that car. She called it Christine. She did not. She did not like that car one bit. Let's take a little break. Uh, lots more to to talk about, including Elon. We got a couple of Elon stories, so why not? You know, he's the uh, gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor. Our show today uh, brought to you by Collide. This is a solution that has every company who uses Slack should should adopt immediately. Uh, it's an endpoint security solution. That instead of treating your users as the enemy, and so many MDM solutions do that, right? Oh, my God, you got to defend against not the bad guys out there, but your users. They're the ones that are there. Glue the USB ports shut. Don't let, them, don't let them do anything. The problem with that is when you criminalize your users in a company, your employees in a company, what do they do? They go out and they start using their phone and their laptop. And now you got a real problem. When you're... <laughs> when you're trying to achieve security goals, whether for a third-party audit or your own compliance standards, the conventional wisdom is you treat every device like Fort Knox. Just lock it down. And that means you start using old-school device management tools like MDMs to force disruptive agents onto employees' devices. Problem is, employees know this. It slows performance. It treats privacy as an afterthought and treats them like the bad guys. That way of doing things turns your IT department into the enemies of the end users. It creates its own security problems. Users turn to shadow IT just to do their jobs. Collide does it a completely different way. Collide uses the most powerful untapped resource in IT, your end users. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. Now, I know you were using, wait a minute, that? Is that all? But yes, because now your users are on your team. It'll automatically notify them when their devices are insecure. It explains why that's a problem and gives them step-by-step -step instructions on how to solve it. And now they're partners. They're doing it with you. By reaching out to employees via a friendly Slack DM, educating them about company policies, Collide helps you build a culture, a much nicer, better culture, in which everyone contributes to security because everyone understands how and why to do it. Your end users want to help. They want to help. You're giving them a chance and now you're you're basically enrolling an entire army to help protect the company. And honestly, by now, we all know that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to do it. For IT admins, you're going to love Collide. It gives you a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet. And, and it's, by the way, completely cross-platform, Mac, Windows, and Linux. You'll be able to see at a glance which employees 
you know, have their disks encrypted, their OS is up to date. Which ones are using password managers? Collide, user-centered, cross-platform, endpoint security for teams that slack. That's the one line. And it and uh, I, let me tell you this. I know you might be skeptical. No, it really works. This is the best way to do it. It really is. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Pro- I promise you. Visit collide.com slash twit. K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash twit. Follow that link. They're going to hook you up with a goodie bag. They got some nice T-shirts. Uh, I got some stickers for my laptop, a little coaster for my beer. Uh, and that's just for activating a free trial. I love, by the way, the t-shirts are nice. K-O-L-I-D-E, collide, collide.com slash twit. It's just the right way to do it. Thank you, Collide, for supporting this week in tech. And you support us, don't forget, dear listeners, by uh, using that address so they know you saw it here. Very important. Uh, I thought, okay, a little more on the Microsoft thing, because there were there was a lot in there. The thing that kind of took my breath away was towards the uh, end of the Panos Panay video in which they announced that Dolly 2 was going to be part of Microsoft's new designer product. That's their kind of their Figma or their Canva uh, competitor and built in the Bing image creator. Now, did they explain? First of all, it's coming next year, right, Daniel? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, did, there's going to be like an early access too for for some people. And did they explain how they because with Dali you pay for it after a certain number of right? Did they are is Microsoft going to pay for it? How is that going to work? Yeah, I'm not sure about that part. I know it's just going to be like in part of Bing Search. It's just going to be like another tab and wild? you can just go right into it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I mean they've been kind of uh, I think they saw this early on as being a big thing. I remember they partnered with them pretty early. Um, you can even use a Microsoft account to register with Dali too currently uh but yeah i'm not sure because after 50 i believe it is with dolly 2 you, right yeah it's you only get free uh, ones and dolly 2 sure by the way is be... now open to everybody it's no longer a wait list so right get in there yeah so maybe microsoft is subsidizing it uh, which i think would probably make sense uh you know there uh, it said a big investor they're putting an investment in so maybe yeah yeah giving a chunk of change and and letting you use it which is great yeah that's to me this is so you know we're talking about technologies that are slow. They aren't coming along. Maybe they're never going to come along. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, AI is interesting because you get these weird wins. Like, all of a sudden, uh, AlphaGo can beat everybody at everything. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> give it a game. In four hours, it'll it'll kill you. Uh, and then now, all of a sudden, you get Dolly 2 and Stable Diffusion and MidJourney. I think Stable Diffusion really powered it because it was open source and everybody could run it. And all of a sudden, AI art is everywhere. Yeah. Kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. AI is like, there's like, again, bring it down to just like more realistic things. I just picked up the um, Eufy doorbell dual. So it's got two cameras on it. One that looks out and then it's got one that looks down to see if someone left the package for you. And it even has a new beta AI experiment where it'll detect if it's a package and alert you that a package was given. And then it can give you another reminder if you didn't pick it up yet. And it's been working. I've only had it for about 48 hours and already had a couple of Amazon packages. But as soon as someone puts a package down, I get an alert. It says, oh, there's something there for you. And it's been pretty accurate. It's a, uh, I mean, it's, I love that these like little usages of 
AI to improve life um, versus these big, you know, ideas of robots and cyborgs and all this kind of stuff like taking over the world. But these little examples, including that using art, I think is, you know, really, really intriguing because it's just way more pragmatic and practical. Yeah. Maybe that's the, you do the easy things first and get people uh, used to it instead of uh, trying to, uh, you know, wash their dishes (laughs) at the sink. Well, and you know, to, something you know to follow up on on that and something that uh daniel talked about earlier with you know us not really understanding how the human brain works you know applications like this like for art or for doing you know image recognition for your doorbell and things like that are great ways of you know starting to get ai into some real applications where it's not necessarily safety critical um, because the, right. the reality is these, these AI systems, they don't work the way the human brain does. There's so much about the brain that we don't understand about the way we perceive the world. And, you know, for all of our flaws, we're, we're actually remarkably adaptable, much more so than AI systems are right now. Well, it's just like you were saying, Daniel, the neuroscience of it is the human brain is a yeah. vast mystery. And, uh, you know, a baby can recognize faces better than a machine can right now. Yeah, we're just brute forcing it at this point with microprocessors Mm -hmm. and machine learning. You just give it like a billion examples (laughs) and then it learns. Humans don't require a billion examples to pick up a pattern. We do it quite easily and we can break that pattern just as easily. I think that's maybe the way to go is to think about we're good at pattern recognition. Uh, Maybe these AIs should do the things we're not so good at, right? Already... Uh, you know, memory is a good example. Memory, human memory is flawed, yeah. not great. Uh, and as I get older, it's worse and worse. But thank God for Google. I don't know how people in earlier generations survived uh, getting older because I don't have to remember everything. I just Google it. And I often uh, will, you know, say, oh, I can't remember. What was, what is, you know, <laughs> yesterday my uh, board op at the radio show said there was a protest across the street. It was a flag. It was a green and white flag with a, with a lion on it. And uh, we were able with image search to find out what that was. It was the Iranian flag. It was an Iranian uh, protest. That, you know, I don't know how you'd do it 50 years ago. You'd go to the library. Maybe in a week you'd find out. I don't know. Here's, <laughs> here's an example of uh, AI, I guess, doing voice impersonations. This is a new podcast from podcast.ai, the first episode, they had Bro Jogan, <laughs> the famous <laughs> podcaster, interviewing a guy. They wouldn't say who it was. Well, here, let me play a little bit because the voices are, are pretty good. He came on the show. How's it going? Good to see you, buddy. It's been a long time since I've been on the show. I've missed this. It's always fun. How's it going? Come on. Tell me about jobs. <laughs> the laughter is not working. By it's the way. always good to see you, buddy. I'm so happy you came on, man. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. No, I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but I think this is actually pretty close to a real Joe Rogan. You know, it (laughs) it washes over you and tells you that everything is connected. You're not here by accident. You were put here for a purpose. And if you can figure out what that is, clearly the AI was trained on actual Steve Jobs quotes. It's pretty intense. 
I mean, it's not a language. And then the voice as well. It doesn't make you feel bad. So some of these it just reveals you for who and what you are. Sentences are actually Take LSD a second time. Yeah, the Joe Rogan is stuff is way strong, better just because no he's so prolific. There's a lot more of his yeah. voice. It was this right. So it can train easier. a new programming language and operating system, and then he became even more famous for making three applications for that computer. Uh, Sounds just like Word Rogan. processor, a spreadsheet, and an image editor. That just showed me that this dude was brilliant. Had amazing taste. They even have the and microphone I would just hope pops. That I could be even like <laughs> one tenth of the genius that my friend. Today what what is. it lacks is the intonation and any kind of emotion. That's still yeah. the area that it still needs to work yeah. on. Yeah, and the content is yeah. a little yeah. lacking as well. I might add, but I I do have to say one of the applications of this exact same tech. I'm not going to get into Twitch drama with Twitch streamers, but there is a a very high profile uh, Twitch uh, streamer who uses uh, this technology to. Uh, on one of his enemies in this and then has the enemy voicing terrible oh, things no. that the chat is saying live on the show. Oh, so, no. you know, it's almost like oh, we invented technology scary. and then we find out what the worst ways to use it. <laughs> yes. the worst human beings alive. Yeah. I just want to say with Dolly, you know, uh, going back to that, look, this is a great technology. I'm really happy. Microsoft is doing this. It, like, I love that it's an artistic tool for people yeah. to, like, have the ideas that they have, like, brought to life. But I also think you've got to ask yourself, like, where are these images coming from? What are the image libraries? What artists are they they basing this work off of to generate this art that that basically takes their style and emulate it? Right. And I, I'm not going to get into it, but I think there are some really ethically questionable decisions they made in how they got these large data sets and people being compensated for it. So, well, we we've uh, certainly yeah. talked about it. Uh, mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Getty, sure, the stock photo company won't allow you to use art generated by these ai or won't sell it because and they pointed out they've scraped our entire database so that getty's watermark shows up <laughs> you know just <laughs> randomly when you use some of these i think it's stable diffusion uh, that did it um yeah they're clearly there's clearly copyright problems greg gukowski who's the great illustrator uh is very mad because he's the, one the most commonly used term in stable diffusion is you know draw a penguin standing on its head in the style of Greg Rutkowski. <laughs> and, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think a lot of people now know who Greg Rutkowski is that didn't. But on the other hand, you know, it's his style that's kind of being, uh, you know, whole, wholesale lifted. And I guess it the, the AI scraped, you know, his entire online database. I think about in the game industry, I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten this uh, back when I was running a game studio, how many times I got this resume. It was like, hey, Brianna, I am just out of school. I I am a expert in illustrator. Uh, I need a job doing uh, concept art. Do you have anything, anything at all? And these people are fighting the tooth and nail with these illustration degrees to just get their foot in the door and there's nothing for them. Right. Yeah. Like the people that do yeah. that work at Blizzard have been there for a decade and, you know, for like a small indie studio, we'll throw out like a thousand dollar contract here and there, but it's not something a lot of people are going to be able do you to use live AI on. generated stuff. I think you could use yeah. AI for a lot of this stuff. Now yeah. um, there's a game that came out this week called score, right? Uh, it's uh, it's based on HR Giger's uh, art style. So you could type all those things into Dolly and say, give me a, 
uh, a shredding machine in the style of HR Geeker, right? It could create something like that. Um, so I, I do think this is going to have a very negative impact on already very limited art jobs. And I'm not saying it's bad or we shouldn't use it. I'm just saying it's going to be a consequence of the technology. Well, did Scorn use uh, AI to do these No, I'm just saying this is an example of a game that really needed those concept artists, yeah. and I'm not sure they would if they designed yeah, it today. Yeah, yeah, There's an interesting article. Matt Welsh, who worked at Google and Apple as a, as a coder, uh, wrote a piece, The End of Programming... Actually, I should give credit to uh, Jeff Jarvis, who found this and wanted to talk about it on Twig, but I'll talk about it now. He says the end of computer science is coming. Programming will be obsolete because it'll be replaced by AI systems that are trained rather than programmed. And in a way, you are doing a kind of programming now when you write a prompt for uh, Dolly or Stable Diffusion, but it's not in C or C++. It's in English, and you're just telling the the computer to generate what you want. He says uh, things like GitHub's Copilot is just scratching the surface. It, the future is clear that that software will be written by AI, but all controlled by humans. Does that make mm. as a as a coder? Does that make sense to you, Brianna? Yeah, I think that's I think that's true in some ways. I also think that. Yeah, there's another story that came out uh, this week, basically talking about how uh, Moore's law and this constant growth of a uh, of a uh, processing power does seem to be coming to an end soon. Uh, and I think that when that happens, you know, refactoring old code, writing efficient code, I, I do think, especially as we have energy crises more and more on Earth, I think that writing efficient code is going to be a highly valued skill. Yeah, I don't think that's something AI is going to be able to do as well as humans. Yeah. So. Um, I, I, I think it's a little hyperbolic to say the end of programming. I do think we're going to have better tools to help us uh, write code. What you will be doing, though, more likely instead of writing, say, a um, binary tree search is you'll yep. say, give me a binary tree search and it will sure. it will write the underlying code and maybe uh, probably write it better than uh, you and I would. Let's be honest, similar... so much of programming is Stack Overflow. So yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's what they just copied yeah. from Stack Overflow. <laughs> well, you look at the examples, to... certainly. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, uh, Dave. I was just gonna, oh. Yeah, I was just going to say the same predictions have been made for uh, news writing in general. You that's know, happened. News writing, in sports writing, yeah, for like, sure, right? Yep, because it's just facts, right? And the idea is you can string it together. And, and in theory, you would actually you know, weed out any kind of bias reporting and word usage, although that remains to be seen. But yeah, that's expected to happen too in the next couple of years. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, from the starting in the late nineties up until I left engineering in 2007, um, we, you know, in working on electronic control systems for vehicles, we put a lot of effort into uh, developing and, and working with um automatic code generation systems using tools um, like MATLAB, for example, that we we used um, for development purposes for rapid prototyping, and then using that and, and other tools to generate code from the models. So we would create models, algorithmic models, and then gener you know, auto-generate code from that uh, to run in vehicles. Now, you know, in those days, the code that it generated was not nearly efficient enough to fit in the, in the, the amount of storage and memory that we had. So we ended up doing a lot of rewriting by hand, 
but you know, I mean, this is, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that was started a long time ago and it's, it's still ongoing. You know, this idea of using, building models and then um, generating the code from that. And that's, that's what a lot of what's being done today uh, is based on. There's a, a new startup that uh, is doing videos in the same way as Dolly does uh, still images. You give it uh, a couple of images, a script, it will generate the whole, the whole video for you. <laughs> so I think that, cre- so, you know, it's clear that there are some things humans are going to have to do. And I think what's happening is we're starting to see the landscape of where AI can do a good job and where humans are needed. And it, it isn't as obvious. You might have said, well, humans are have to do the creative work. But Dolly has shown, Stable Diffusion have shown that not isn't necessarily true. Although AI it's writing. the biggest surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, we always thought AI would do, like, the menial tasks. Right. Which is still, you know, what's kind of happening. But I, I didn't predict this idea of, like, art. And, like, you know, you've, of course, we've all heard the stories of, like, AI art being entered into art contests and actually winning. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's which calls it to question, you know, judging of art by humans versus, you know, what AI is and everything. But, yeah, it's a whole other world that uh, just quickly came upon us. Uh, and I'm sure it's already happening with music. You know, music, they already know, especially with pop music, you know, there's kind of a secret sauce to it in terms of the beats and everything that the human brain responds to. So yeah. just a matter of time before we start getting AI generated music. Yeah, don't be fooled by the bad AI music we've heard so far. I think you're exactly right. It just as is, is all of a sudden AI art exploded. I think AI music's going to explode. And I would not want to be a pop musician right now. I think that's that's going to be a tough world in the next couple of years. How about the uh, NVIDIA RTX 4090? Huh? How about that? A $1,600 video card. NVIDIA has a problem because uh, they were making bank when the video cards were in high demand from Bitcoin miners. But now that that's (laughs) collapsed uh, and there's all these uh, old, highly used GPUs on the market for pennies on the dollar, uh, they've had to find some other way to make money. And I think they might have found it with this beast of a GPU. Devendra Hardware reviewing it in Gadget says it's the fastest consumer GPU we've ever seen uh you could even run at 8k but it's also you know as i said 1600 bucks you know maybe i'll sell the oculus pro quest pro and buy this instead i'd have to get a machine to to go in how much does it take like more than one slot it looks like it's it's, it's massive. Massive. two and a half it's slots huge. <laughs> it's huge jeez louise and and four four power connectors four that's oh it four God. count them Four power connectors. So how many watts? Seven hundred watts? Probably something. Jeez, like that, yeah. Combine it with the thirteen uh, gen processor, and you're going to have a little um, device that basically uses as much power as a space heater. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Christina had to talk me out of getting this. I have the RTX thirty ninety. It's great, but I want to be honest with you. I already have not found a game. Literally, I cannot run maxed yeah. out at all settings. No, I have a thirty eighty. Frankly, returns. and the thirty eighty runs fine yeah. at four. That's yeah. what I got too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for me, we just uh, Massachusetts is great. They have this fantastic program where you can get. Uh, they basically pay the cost of your solar panels going on your roof, and uh, they just charge 
charging more for electricity and that slowly pays off the uh, the solar panels. So, yeah, I saw this. And I'm like, well, I don't have to worry so much about the, the power usage these days. But I mean, honestly, it's like if you can run Cyberpunk at max settings at 100 FPS on a 32 inch monitor, like like running a really good. That's VR. What do you need this for? That's right? VR. Right oh. there. Uh, who needs a helmet? I'll just, you know, 30-inch, though, I got a, I got a uh, OLED 55-inch. That's Woo. that's because now it's almost peripheral vision, right? You can, you're, it's immersive. When oh I play goodness. Stray, I feel like a kitty cat. <laughs> I live the kitty cat life. The race now is, of course, oh. the frames per second. But again, that's also like the refresh rates on like laptops now are going over 300 hertz for the refresh rate which is insane but it's like again it's like what brianna was saying i mean it's diminishing returns ultimately like it's nice to have and if you're a video if you're if you're rendering video i could see where this will be a a big benefit maybe it'll it'll definitely cut your time in half but in terms of video games which is usually the primary usage of them yeah it's like you know how much better is this going to be for a lot of people well nobody because i mean Correct me if I'm wrong, Brianna. If you were a game studio, you could say, no, we're going to require the 4090. Oh, but that would be suicide. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're going to make sure that it will run fine on a 3060 or less, a 1070. Yeah. Um, do well, game companies then say, really good but we're going to have an ultra uh, high resolution frame rate, you know, yeah. infinite distance, you know, the Z, the Z goes all the way. <laughs> And then yeah. say, if you have a 4090, uh, we've got a mode for you. That That's exactly it. Modern okay. engines are really good at scaling. We're that. seeing the implementation okay. of DLSS looks amazing. I, I do just have to, I, I hate to be the killjoy on this show, but yeah, no, there's a story that came out Kill today. Kill my joy, that, Brianna. You know, uh, one of Russia's, uh, Vladimir Putin's final, uh, like, like, uh, his Hail Marys and, uh, to win, uh, the war against Ukraine being to sabotage his own, uh, pipeline and spike the, uh, basically destroy the energy supply throughout all of Europe, leaving, uh, like people literally choosing between heating their homes and, and eating, right? But with a 4090, like, you don't have right. to choose because well, it will heat your home and play a game. I guess, okay, <laughs> that's fair. I'm just saying at some point <laughs> here, a, no. a card that takes four I agree. connectors for you, there there's an environmental Absolutely. question I think is worth asking yeah. ourselves. That's this, all I'm saying. This has a... Uh, yeah. a TDP of I think they said 450 watts, but they recommend that you have a uh, 800 watt, 850 watt PSU, <laughs> right? <laughs> In order to run it, uh, yeah, because you got to have some wattage for the rest of the computer. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we're you know what, Brianna? Welcome to the modern world where one percent has everything they want including you know giant screens and 4090 cards and the rest of us are uh walking barefoot through uh desiccated onion fields (laughs) i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this i'm suddenly (laughs) channeling dolly too but uh you know i mean that's this is the where we are headed with massive income inequality uh and uh it's it's uh terrifying frankly yeah. Um, doesn't mean Nvidia shouldn't. And it's be only going to get worse for the foreseeable future. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. climate change really starts hitting hard, and 
you know, have whole parts of the world that are uninhabitable, which means massive refugee crises. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. that My mind's going wrong. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to do <laughs> that. Sixth extinction is on its way, ladies Surface and gentlemen. Surface Pro 9. Well, Meanwhile, let's talk about ARM. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to ask you about NVIDIA uh, because... Sam, because NVIDIA is not just making video game cards. They are uh, making AI chips and they're making self-driving chips, right? They're very much. Yeah, they are. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago when they had their fall GTC, they announced a new chip uh, that's scheduled for 2025 production. It's called Thor. Um, it's a, it's an SOC with um, 2,000 teraops integer performance and 2,000 teraflops uh, floating point performance. Um, which is designed, you know, to be able to have this one chip power the entire car, as at least as, in terms of computing performance. Um, it's, you know, it, it's still, you know, it's three, three years away from production programs, but, uh, you know, this is just, you know, they, they won't, they haven't said how much, um, how much, how many watts this thing consumes. But as an example, um, other automated vehicles that I've seen, their compute platforms, just just the compute, not including the sensors and everything else, can consume as much as four kilowatts just for the compute to do an automated what? vehicle. Oh, yeah. my God. We're going to need a bigger battery. Yep. <laughs> wow. That's actually what Devendra says is the 4090 is, a, is such a leap ahead. He likens it to... A, a a black hole so massive it warps space time around it. <laughs> this is the new standard. This is like we're putting that planning that flag way out ahead, and so you're going to see. You know, this is setting the mark yeah. in effect, and I guess that's what yeah, they're doing well, in automotive as well. Yeah, and you know that Thor chip. Um, you know, they, last year at the Spring GTC, they announced a chip called Atlan, which they canceled and replaced with Thor. Because um, they, since Atlan, they introduced um, an ARM SOC for data centers for servers called Grace, um, and then also a new GPU architecture called Hopper. And so what they did was they they realized, well, we can take the the technology we've got in Grace and Hopper, combine those with a bunch of other stuff to make this other chip that would give us twice the performance of what we had already announced. And, you know, those, those chips, you know, some of the, some of the, the, the areas that, uh, NVIDIA is involved in, you know, the, some of the data centers that they're powering, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, robotics applications. It, it does go way beyond, uh, GPUs. GPUs is just one small part of their business now. And I think, you know, there was a, a story that was further down, I think on the, on the rundown about, um, you know, American exec, you know, chip, uh, chip companies, uh, American chip companies operating in China. Uh, you oh know, recently, a few weeks back, yeah, there was, yeah. you know, there was an announcement from yeah, the sanctions. Biden administration. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, barring the export of a lot of these high performance data center chips and server chips, um, to China. Um, and NVIDIA is one of the companies that's impacted by that. Um, so far, there was something else that just came out the other day. I haven't been able to dive into in uh, in depth yet, um, but it, it it seems like they may ha- may be expanding those sanctions to cover other types of chips as well. Um, so that might end up impacting Yikes. both in- Nvidia and Qualcomm, uh, which is also selling. Yeah, uh, I chips think they bumped vehicles. up. They bumped up the nanometer to sixteen nanometer. Anything, so it's like even okay. older legacy chips 
won't be able to be used. And it also affects actual people. Uh, if you're an American citizen yeah. working on this technology in China, you can either give up your citizenship or face arrest if you come back or leave the country. That's the Wall so Street expecting- Journal uh, story uh, today. Yeah. At least 43 Jeez. senior executives working with 16 listed Chinese semiconductor roles, uh, companies hold roles from CEO to vice president. They're the ones facing, after the ban, this prospect of either you quit and come home now or you're going to have to give up your citizenship uh, yep. and stay in China. It's, it's a massive brain drain. It's going to really cri- cripple China's like chip industry and uh, for super chips used for weapons and the military primarily, but also for driving AI, self-driving and all this other stuff. It, it's almost it almost seems, I don't know a little too much <laughs> like it, it, they're they're really serious sanctions i mean it's uh it's going to mm-hmm. really really hobble china and you got to wonder of course what's you know what china is going to do in response to that right because they're not going to just idly sit by and i think that's kind of the real big question that we have to wait now this to, is, to see what this happens is worse than a trade war this is a shot across the bow and i understand why the u.s government did it there was real concern among the intelligence community as you say that they were using our technology to power their military and their AI for military uses so that we were in effect helping build up their military when they pose a real threat, uh, at least to Taiwan, uh, our ally, but also to the whole region and maybe even the whole world at some point. So I understand why you'd want to do something about it, but it seems like it almost seems like a, a, a warlike action, especially uh, with Xi, President Xi now going for his, you know, coronation as the emperor of China at the party Congress, which is going on now. And he's been in order to secure his power and his position doing a lot of saber rattling. And I, I just worry that we're heating up and this is about geopolitics as much as it is tech, but I just, I agree with you, Daniel, I worry we're heating up this already volatile space and maybe going to have consequences that we will long regret. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Ian Bremmer, you know, made this good point about the future of the geopolitical atmosphere. Like, it's better when the Chinese and American uh, economies are intertwined to I such an extent. I 100% agree. Yeah, that yep. if a war would just be unfeasible because it would just destroy both economies and just wouldn't be worth the risk. But as soon as we start, um, you know, separating ourselves from China and disengaging, and I get it. You know, we want to build up intel. If something happens to Taiwan, we want to be, make sure we have a fab here and all that. So I kind of get that. But yeah, I mean, there is a risk here that, you know, the more we go down this route, the uh, the more dangerous it's going to get. I the, guess the we less- have to uh, trust yeah. our government and our intelligence agencies, but that's historically hard for us to do. <laughs> Especially and, in this country. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the intelligence agencies as much as the, the State Department. I right? think, well, like what so you're talking, yeah. Here's, here's, for months, administration officials have debated, this is from the New York Times, what they sure. could do to hobble China's progress. China, according to the Times, was using supercomputing and artificial intelligence to develop stealth and hypersonic weapons systems, and maybe even worse, to crack our encryption, and this mm-hmm. is according to intelligence reports. So you're giving another country the power to become a real enemy, but then at the same time, I, I agree with Bremer, the better, it's better to be allies, you know, even <coughs> if you're frenemies, because it preserves the peace. This is not the kind of move that preserves the peace. Yes, you're taking away an important weapon, but I also think that the Chinese given 
a little time. It's not, they're not dumb. They have high, smart people and high technology and great uh, universities. I don't know why they couldn't duplicate our it, efforts. So I don't know what it's, you're it's achieving. A, it's at best a short-term solution. It's a short-term solution. Mm -hmm. what, what I wanted to say was, you know, I think there's a longer term view to have here. Uh, you know, if you look at the Marshall Plan following World War II, I, I really feel like a lot of people on my own side really underestimate this. Like we've had the longest, uh, you know, historical period of peace and prosperity in like worldwide history. Because of interdependence. Because of interdependency, because of the, uh, you know, Bretton Woods, because yep. of these alliances to create this, uh, it basically economic dependency between nations. This has been good. And, you know, on one hand, when I see the United States doing things like shoring up domestic chip production, I 100% support that yes. in many ways. I yes. do think we need redundancies here, even though it doesn't make sense in some ways, because we don't have the tools you actually need to build those chips. But that's a whole nother discussion. At the same time, you know, this really strikes me as being similar to the discussion we had in the 80s when, you know, the fear was Russia was going to copy American chips on this and that, and they were going to use it in nuclear missiles. So, you know, I think that, uh, I, I don't think that the answer is for us to withdraw from the world and to withdraw our industry from the world. I think we need to be doubling down and doing our own development in this, this area. That's my take on it, at least. It's, you know, yeah, I, it's, I, I agree. You know, that we don't want to completely withdraw. I mean, a, a big part of the strategy for the last 50, 60, 70 years has been the idea that, you know, if everybody is engaged, you know, in trade uh, across borders, we become dependent on each other and we are less likely to go to war. I mean, that was the whole theory behind the European Union. Um, you know, on the other hand, you know, what we, one of the downsides of the way it's been implemented. Uh, over the last several decades is that we ended up with way too much consolidation of with too few companies producing stuff in too few places. And mm -hmm. we got too dependent and we ended up with supply chains that became very brittle, which has led to the situation we've had over the last couple of years, where if you have any kind of disruption, whether it's a pandemic, natural disaster, geo, you know, geopolitical uh, issues, you you end up disrupting um, so many things in our in economies globally. Uh, and so what we're actually starting to see now over the last year or so is a lot of companies moving back, backing away from the consolidation approach we've had to being becoming more diversified in their supply chains, getting things from more companies in more in more locations so that we're not totally dependent on any one location, which is actually, I think, in the long term going to be a better thing because you you don't necessarily want to have be totally self. I mean, I do, it's good to be self-sufficient, but, you know, you, you want to have some trade cross-border trade to get you know, some dependency, but you don't want to be totally dependent on any one location. Yes. And that's Apple's moving yeah. very quickly mm -hmm. uh, to do that. It's estimated in the next few years that uh, at least uh, half of uh, iPhone production could be done in Vietnam, India, Brazil, other countries, uh, not China. Uh, yeah, that seems a reasonable long-term uh, goal. Here's an interesting use of AI. There's a charity uh, called Give Directly, givedirectly.org. The idea is it's an NGO, but instead of, you know, kind of wrapping uh, your gift into a bunch of administrative costs and 
complex uh, charities you just give directly. They've been using, they're funded, by the way, by Google, uh, google.org, their charitable arm, as well as USAID and other companies. Uh, they're One of the things they're doing now to help in the uh, survivors of Hurricane Ian is using Google and AI to figure out where the greatest need is and then algorithmically send people money, which I think is fascinating. 3,500 residents of Collier, Charlotte, and Lee counties got a push notification on their smartphones offering them $700 cash, no questions asked, based on a Google algorithm deployed in partnership with GiveDirectly. They used satellite images to see where the need was greatest. What do you think? That's a good use of AI. Is that a? I think it's a positive. Yeah, I can yeah, definitely it, see that. I can see it going wrong yeah. too. I understand. Yeah, no, I mean, if, if if it works, and you know, this this seems like an application where you know, vision systems, machine vision systems, could probably do a pretty good job, uh, and it should be able to work pretty well. Um, you know, to to pick out you know, at least locations where help is needed. AI for disaster. Response: A paper presented a couple of years ago at an academic workshop said an AI uh, doing that could match those of human experts with 85 to 98 percent accuracy. So humans doing it probably has, has flaws, uh, too. So very, but you could very probably you could probably get it, you know, find it a lot faster with this approach. Exactly. You know, rather than rather than just sending people out into the field. Right. Uh, you know, and trying to find the people that need help, you can probably do it a lot more quickly and hopefully, um, you know, distribute the funds to people, you know, get get money into people's pockets to help them, you know, find find some place to stay, get food, you know, whatever, um, you know, to to help them get through that initial period. Although and this is, a, I think, an indication of. Life in the 21st century. Of the 700 people who got push notifications, only 200 responded. It's thought that the other 500 thought they were phishing scams and just and just ignored not, the offer. Not an not an unreasonable response. No, not unreasonable. No, I think they're right. I think they're right. No, that was real money. Sorry, it was, but it was, it's buried in about 300 other text messages offering money from Nigerian princes and others. <laughs> uh, Brianna Wu, great to have you from the Rebellion Pack. And the Rocket Podcast, that great show you do with Simone de Rochefort and our wonderful Christina Warren, who was a host uh, at the festivities at Microsoft's Ignite uh, this week, which is kind of cool. I'm sure proud to work with her. She's amazing. she's the greatest. Uh, And, of course, Daniel Rubino from Windows Central. He's executive editor there. Did you watch all the uh, Ignite videos yet? Some of them looked pretty interesting. (laughs) I did not. I mean, I was in New York that day for uh, the Surface stuff, but... uh... I still haven't gotten, not been able to, to go watch Oh, everything. so they had a... Okay, so that's interesting. So there's this debate about whether Apple should have an event this month. They've got, you know, mm-hmm. a half dozen new products to announce. And I thought Microsoft kind of punted and recorded a video, Panos Panay. I mean, obviously, all of that was recorded, but then mm-hmm. released it at a, a specific time, 7 a.m. Pacific, uh, <laughs> on Wednesday, and I had to get up for that. Uh, so it was... But they did... So, But they actually invited people to the to an event as well. Yes, oh, uh, I didn't New York realize City, that. and I believe LA had uh, an event too for uh, media. Did the they have a hands-on and stuff like that? Yeah, yep. They that's had it. all the all the stuff out there, so and we got to play that's, with it. That's what Apple 
did last month with the iPhone. They had a recorded event, but journalists went to the campus and got to do the hands-on. I don't know why yeah. they wouldn't do that again this month, but uh, the rumor mill seems to agree that's not going to happen. We'll talk about that in uh, just a little bit. It's great to have you, uh, Daniel. Uh, also, uh, Sam Abul Samad, my car guy. Uh, well, he's our car guy. Wheel Bearings Podcast, a great podcast for people who are auto enthusiasts. Our show today brought to you by Noom. I love, you know about Noom? You you look like you might have done Noom there, Brianna. I, I lost uh, over 100 pounds with what? Noom. So I did. I did. Uh, so I had a running injury a while back, um, and I could not run for six months while I was waiting for surgery. Uh, they drilled six holes through my tibia to... Yikes basically fix it. It was, it was dreadful. And I put on just a ton of weight. Uh, at my heaviest, I was uh, 220 pounds. See, I don't think I've just, ever known you uh, yeah. this thin. Yeah. And you transformed. How long did it take? I did. It, it took me about, uh, probably about six or seven months. That's and, so you know, it was honestly not hard. It was just uh, recording the calories of what I ate and just becoming more mindful. That's what Noom uh, is, is so good about, I think. A hundred percent. It's not a diet. Yeah. It's it's education, education about how what you eat affects your body. Well, you look and gorgeous. You I mean, it, it's, I, yep. it's amazing, the transformation. And, you know, you're not the only one. We have a, a guy in the chat room. I don't want to name names, but I think the chat room knows who it is, who went on our uh, Geek Cruise and... I knew he was going on the cruise and I hadn't seen him in a few months and I couldn't find him. And I, and I, I texted him. I said, where are you? He said, I'm, I'm right next to you right here. And he <laughs> just was, he'd lost 60 pounds on Noom. He was yeah. unrecognizable. I was like, you're a new man. He says, it's great. He's kept it off. My wife, Lisa, the same thing. She uh, didn't look like she needed, as you know, didn't look like she needed to lose any weight, but she wanted to lose about 20 pounds little less. She did, I think, 18 or 19 pounds. I've lost 20 pounds on him. It works because it isn't a diet. There are yeah. no restrictions. There are no foods you can't eat. It's a psychology-first approach. Noom Weight allows you to build more sustainable habits. And sustainable is so important with weight loss because the worst thing for you is to lose the weight and gain it back. With Noom, you get behaviors that last. 3.6 million people have lost weight on Noom. Now, I have to tell you, our uh, weight loss is not typical. On average, Noom users lose about 15 pounds in 16 weeks. 100 pounds not guaranteed. But I have to say 95% of customers say Noom weight is a good long-term solution, and that's what you're looking for. It's based on scientific principles like cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. So you understand your relationship with food. Uh, Lisa says she was a fog eater, and I am that way too. I'm an emotional eater, but she was a fog eater. Well, she would eat and not even know she was eating. I'm emotional. I get home, and I reduce the stress by f stuffing things in my mouth. Learning about that has been so valuable. Uh, one of the things we now do is we turn off the TV, we put away our phones, we sit down to a meal at a table with napkins, silverware, and we eat thoughtfully, mindfully, chewing every bite and really enjoying the food. Sometimes I'll even close my eyes and really taste it. And it's amazing what a difference that makes in how you eat. I'm eating consciously all of a sudden. Noom doesn't believe in restricting what you can or can't eat. So whatever your health goals are, the flexible, non-restrictive program focuses on progress, not perfection. And it's not just, you know, uh, the lessons, which are great. You could choose how long 
those lessons are for you. It's also a, a coach, personal coaching. Uh, you choose the level of support. They have groups as well. You can participate in them or not. It's up to you. Uh, Five-minute daily checkings, personal coaching, whatever works for you. And the thing it's important to understand, progress is not a straight line. So, Noom, you get off days. In fact, as you go with Noom, you'll get bonus days. In fact, my coach would say, okay, bonus day, eat whatever you want. Don't log it. It's fine. Both Lisa and I love it. And as you hear from many of our panelists, they love it too. Noom's published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that inform users, practitioners, scientists, and the public about their methods and effectiveness. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom Weight's psychology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today. Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash twit. Noom dot com slash twit. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash twit. Can't thank you enough, Noom. You've made a huge difference in our lives. Brianna, I had no idea you'd lost 100 pounds. That's amazing. And, you know, I've been, since I lost, it's been almost a year. Like, no issue putting it back on whatsoever. Because, like, the weird thing is it changes what you think tastes good. And where before I might have, like, grabbed something like some chips or whatever, you just, you want to eat, like, a yogurt, right? It it really changes your your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that that's even possible. It's really great. Well, thank you, Newman. Thank you, uh, dear listeners, for going to noom.com slash twit. Let them know you you saw it here. Oh, there's so many stories. So much much to talk about. So little time. How about this? CNN is backing down on its NFTs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They had a uh, NFT market selling collectible moments tied to major news events. They've dropped it, but now this is the problem. Users are saying it's a rug pull. We've sent, spent thousands of dollars, uh, and we were sold an exclusive access and features and coming in the future, and now they're killing it. On Monday afternoon, CNN ed- ended its big Web3 project by announcing we've decided that it's time to say goodbye to the vault by CNN. I hate to tell you, NFT users, Get ready. There's a lot of rugs going to be pulled intentionally or not. Uh, I guess NBA is still doing uh, top shot, but I here's the thing. NFT trading volumes have collapsed 97% since the beginning of the year. Still not enough. It needs to be 99%. Yeah. yeah. Well, but here's 100%. what's happening is people buy these things. Basically, it's a speculative thing. It's not an yeah. investment in art. I mean, some people say, oh, I want to support the artist. That's fine. I wish the artist would sell a print so I could support them by buying something I could hang on my wall. Uh, but people buy these because they think they're going to be able to resell them, you know, for a lot of money later. It's an investment and a speculative investment at that. Mm-hmm. When the market tanks as it has, all these people, and you knew it was going to happen, are left holding they're bored apes. <laughs> Just like, well, now what do I do? There's no market for it. What What are bored apes worth these days? You know, I, see, that's the question. You can say, what are they worth? And I can go tell you $300,000. But is anybody actually paying that? That's just, mm. a, that's just a number somebody's attached to it. There are, I mean, and there, look and at, there were there were reports, you know, that a lot of these, like the bored apes and a lot of the other NFTs, 
were, you know, they were, they were going through, um, I forget the, the term for it, but basically people would set up multiple accounts and they would sell it to themselves, you know, trade it between different that's, accounts. That's the problem. To, I think there's a little bit of hype. Yeah. So, yeah. so there were th- uh, a 38 board apes sold in the last week. $3.72 million. The average price is 98000 I think the top price was over a million dollars for one board ape. Yeah. Uh, board ape yacht club, $1 million 15 days ago. The guy with a crown. Now, what makes this one worth a hundred, went through a million dollars when this one's worth 225000 Cause he's got a pipe, not a crown. It's just a stupid drawing. Of a vaguely racist nature. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't. But I think the only reason you'd spend a million dollars for this is because you think some nitwit's going to come along and give you a million and a half down the road, right? I think it's because well, rich people, the the 1% of people have so much money that they could just afford to waste it on dumb stuff like this. And it's pocket change where the rest of us are just looking at it like they're all nuts. But that's what happens when you have literal billionaires with 20 30 billion dollars or more you know like ellison was going to lend twitter uh, elon musk a billion dollars for twitter it's just like it's insane so i think they're just uh rich people have run out of things to buy <laughs> i think it was a lot of younger you know a lot of younger 20 something that got caught in this as well like thinking it was a legit that's what worries up. me is and, yeah. le- more naive and quote investors like uh, my kids who Oh, this is great. This is the future. And there is this notion, I've talked about this before, that somehow you're restoring equity to the world with Web3, DeFi, cryptocurrency, NFTs, that somehow you're taking the power away from big tech. That's the promise of Web3 somehow, some magical way, except for I got to point out that the primary proponents of Web3 are the big venture capitalist entries. Capitalists, yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, we're taking it, we're giving it to big tech. Um, not really. Uh, but I understand the motivation. You know, when um, Jay-Z started a school um, among for poor, uh, poor black kids to teach him about crypto, I think he was thinking, this is a good thing to know because this is d- democratizing finance. Spike Lee put out that commercial, right? Where he had the, like, all the white presidents on the dollar. And he's like, oh, we've got our new money now. And it was like, oh, I don't know about this, Spike (laughs) Lee. But what, what I wanted to say about this story particularly is, you know, we've got real journalists here, not fake journalists like me. And yeah, think about all the rules that exist at CNN to make really sure that the reporters are not going to malign the reputation of the news network. Think of all the like second guessing when you post on Twitter or the editing an article again and again or hunting down a source. And then you've got the money men at CNN. They're doing this cheap cash grab with Web3. And think about how much this damages CNN as a news organization and, and the trust in it. It's just so... It's a very good point. They yeah, made, they, it's estimated yeah. by the Press Gazette, they made $300,000 on these oh. NFTs. Uh, in fact, in this analysis from the News Gazette, uh, the Press Gazette, news publishers have made nearly $12 million on NFTs since March 2021. Uh, 
Yeah, that's that well, really the, the casts key- a lot. By the way, the number one money maker, Time Magazine, CNN think, number you know, three on the on the, the on the, the list. The, the key the key to making money on this stuff is to get in early, sell them, don't hang on to them, right? So, <laughs> sell them and take the take the money and run. Yeah. Forbes yeah, made a half a million but donated it to charity. The Economist, $422,000, donated it to charity, as did Gannett. The New York Times raised $560,000 on uh, NFTs, but donated it to charity, I hope, I guess. <laughs> uh, Time has earned the most from Web3 initiatives out of all the publishers. Here's their marketplace on OpenSea. Look at the fine things you can buy. <laughs> this is This is crap. It's crap. They're selling you crap for thousands of dollars. I just feel bad for their credibility. Yeah, it does. It does. I think less of them. And Mm -hmm. I really feel for any young person or naive person or, or person who can ill afford this, who bought into it being on the promise of it's democratizing, it's changing the world. It's it's a you know, that's it's not. You're just being scammed. It's yet another grift. Welcome to the land of grift. Uh, All right. Well, thank you, CNN, for shutting it down. Of course, now all the people who bought those NFTs are pissed off. (laughs) Without the marketplace, that's it. (laughs) Um, All right. One more break, and then we we should talk about whether Apple's going to have an event. I'm curious what you think. PC shipments, Daniel, have down... 20%, 20%, the steepest drop in more than 40 years. Not a good quarter for PCs, but Mac sales up 40%. Yeah. Okay, um, thank you. <laughs> There's an honest response. Uh, which side? So the problem here is there are actually three sets of numbers. There is IDC, Canalysis, and Gartner. And they all say vastly different things. Yeah, because so IDC, the companies themselves don't say. Correct. So you especially have to, Apple's you have to figure particularly it out. tough. Yeah. Yeah. Because Apple does direct sales a lot of times. Right. So IDC says, yeah, they're, uh, they, uh, Apple sold 10 million or shipped 10 million laptops, which was up from 7 million. So you get 40% growth, which is that's the headline. Like, oh my God. Right. You go to Gartner, they said only 5.8 million were shipped. Oh. Which was down from six point nine million, so they it was a fifteen point six percent drop, and in between that was Canalysis, who said it was eight million, and it was a one point seven percent growth. God, so they, they, don't, they have no idea. They're making these. They numbers have no up. idea. Right, and so and same with the the PC numbers are a little bit closer. I, I mean, I think there is definitely a trend here, which shouldn't be surprising that in general laptop sales have dwindled, and everyone predicted this, right? Because the pandemic was going to be a, a big expansion of it, uh, and but they're still the numbers are still higher than pre-pandemic, which is the good news. And now you know we're entering into the market has changed, right? We do have remote workers, and a lot more people are relying on PCs, which means within a couple of years, they're going to probably, you know, things hold and we don't all return to the office in the old ways. You know, there's going to be a cycle of companies buying new laptops and getting into that again, which benefits enterprise. In fact, I think it was um, uh, trying to think, oh yeah, it was Canalysis who said desktop was actually up 10%. 
Uh, and so desktop sales apparently are doing better than laptop sales. So I think the numbers are a little bit all over, to, all over the place. But when it comes to the general trends, they're probably all going to be going down a little bit. I think that's not you know unheard of, especially we're entering into a possible recession. There's inflation right now. Every company I know of is pulling back either on advertising or on purchases because everybody's waiting to see what happens. But they say once the economy, if you know, when it recovers, things will probably return to a, a better state. But I think we shouldn't make too much of this where macro headwinds right now aren't very good for uh, laptop sales. We should also point out that this is a decline in growth. This is so. They still yeah. sold 68 million PCs in the last three yeah. months. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's just that it's, they it's sold 84 million before, so yeah. last year. So it's still a huge number, and it's more than before the pandemic. Right. I mean, 64 million PC, or 68 million PCs in three months is a ton of computers. People are buying computers like crazy. It's just, it's just not growing maybe as much as it used to or yeah and i think the consumer market will be hit the hardest here which i think makes sense whereas enterprise is a little bit more resilient because they know they're going to be around and they need this equipment the the big question of course is does this trend continue in the sense of do we still need laptops and pcs and desktop going forward yeah and i don't see that changing soon you know like this idea was years ago we'd have tablets and phones we don't need computers anymore and now it doesn't seem like the case at all we need them all yeah yeah exactly and a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, trends and improvements in these devices as really make them worth it, especially when it comes to the cameras and being able to re- work remotely and the power. And of course, you know, the battery efficiency of them is improving as well. Yeah. All right. I think the the Apple number there is really interesting. I mean, Apple, their sales are going to be out because the M1, like laptops and uh, like this entire generation of MacBook is just absolutely amazing. Like everyone that owns them, myself included, thinks it's the best MacBook they've ever owned. So it's not surprising to me Mac is doing very well. I'd love to see PC like come up with a way to deliver that long a battery life and performance and the stuff they they put out because my my Razer laptop has a battery that'll last about 40 minutes. Uh, we will uh, talk a little bit about what Apple might be doing in the future, but I want to take a Ooh. little break right now. I should mention, Daniel, you're right about recession. Uh, and we're seeing this also uh, at Twit, where uh, commitments for next year's ad sales have basically yeah. fallen off the face of the of the earth. Uh, yep. Because of the economy, people don't know what's going on. A lot of uh, companies are not necessarily going to stop, but they're just they're just saying we're putting a hold on. Wait it. and see. We don't yeah, know. And you can't, Ukraine, Russia is also weighing down. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and the uh, and the. Uh, coming World War III in China. All of this is not good for the economy. So uh, we're seeing this too. In fact, it's one of the reasons we mention more than usual we've been mentioning Club Twit because it is, for us, the key to keeping the operation going, keeping the lights on, keeping the people we employ employed, keeping the shows going, keeping the shows growing if we can. So I want to just put in a plug for our uh, Club Twit. If you're not already a member, we just got a new uh, corporate member and we're just really... Uh, thrilled and grateful uh it is it is a way of i think supporting us but also supporting your employees and supporting your brain you get ad-free versions of all of the shows we thought that was the big you know pitch turns out no not not even close the big pitch the big benefit is discord you get access to a very active very fun discord 
where uh, people are chatting about not just the shows as they're going on. We have a, you know, this week in tech chat going on right now, just like in our ISC, but about everything else. I'm always talking and coding uh, with my, with my friends about about programming. Uh, we've got a beer, wine, and cocktail group <laughs> p- pitching, uh, st- you know, new concepts and cocktails. There is a crypto, DeFi, and NFT group. There's food. There's gaming. There's hardware. There's ham radio. There's hacking. There's Linux and more. Plus, there are shows in the club that you don't get in public. That's where we launch new shows. That's how This Week in Space happened. Uh, we got together with Rod Pyle uh, from the National Space Society, Tarek Malik from Space.com. They do a great show called This Week in Space. The club financed its launch, so to speak, a little cheaper than a Falcon 9. They financed the launch, and now that it's off the ground, we made it public. But we've got more shows in the club that we haven't yet made public, like Micah Sargent's uh, Hands on Mac and Paul Therott's Hands on Windows, the Untitled Linux Show, Stacy's Book Club coming up October 27th. Uh, these are all shows you get as a club member. I should mention you can buy individual shows ad-free, including those shows, for two ninety nine a month. But why not just spend the 7 bucks, get access to the Discord, get the ad-free shows, get the special Twit Plus feed? I think it's a really worthwhile uh, way to help us. And I got to tell you, going forward, uh, you know, we're looking into the abyss of 2023. The club we're counting on to keep things going in 2023 as it becomes harder and harder to sell advertising. I don't just think it's the bad economy. I think uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, iHeart, they're all, uh, Apple, they're all starting to do podcasts and they're starting to do exclusive podcasts and a lot of the advertising is going to these big companies. So I have a feeling it's going to get harder and harder for an independent network like Twit uh, to survive without your help. That's why we started Club Twit and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Twit.tv slash club twit just a little self-serving plug but i i I really appreciate it now i also am very grateful for our existing sponsors because they're wonderful and we are very careful you might note that we use the products we talk about in almost every case we are very careful we pick for example mint mobile sure i love ryan reynolds but that's not why i use mint mobile i use mint mobile because i get premium wireless starting at 15 dollars a month now what do you pay for your T-Mobile uh, bill, for instance. Wouldn't it be nice to get the same great 5G service, unlimited nationwide talk and text, high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network for $15 a month? And now for the plot twist, there isn't one. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're all used to these secret, you know, uh, hidden you know, fees and fine print. There's not. Seriously, Mint Mobile, premium wireless, starting at 15 bucks a month, no trapping you into a two-year contract. No hidden fees. You open the bill and go, what the heck's this? There's no luring you in with free subscriptions or streaming services you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. There's none of that. This is clean. This is simple. This is the right way. For anybody who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers wireless for just 15 bucks a month. And, of course, you should look at your existing bill, see how much data you need. You get 4 gigabytes a month for 15 bucks. If you need more, you can get more. They even have an unlimited plan. But it is the best rate, I guarantee you. There's no one comes close. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. By the way, all plans come with unlimited talk and text, high-speed data, Use your own phone if you want. Mint Mobile will send you a SIM for free. 
Or you can buy a phone from Mint Mobile. I get a great iPhone SE from them. 15 bucks a month. Service, 15 bucks a month. That's 30 bucks a month for a phone and service. Still a third what I pay the other guys. Switch to Mint Mobile. Get premium wireless service. Just 15 bucks a month. No unexpected plot twist. Uh, MintMobile.com slash twit. I, these guys are really have now become the disruptors in this space. Uh, and, I th- and I think maybe it's a little bit thanks to Ryan Reynolds. I feel like he's throwing his little bit of his Deadpool uh, mojo into there. MintMobile.com slash twit. You'll make your wallet happy. MintMobile.com slash twit. Thank you, MintMobile, for your support. Uh, we had a great week this week on twit. We've got a little uh, mini video. Why don't you take a look? I was thinking of getting a Surface Pro 9 with the SQ3. No, do not get anything ARM-based on Windows ever. No. Previously on Twit, Windows Weekly. This is a big day. We got up early for the Surface event. Each one of these things has a problem. Okay. They all have the same problem, <laughs> uh, which is that they're the same exact design as before. Surface yes, Studio 2 Plus. 11th Gen Intel chips, not latest gen. Are you kidding? Quad core. That's How many cores does an H-series 12th gen uh, chipset have now? 16. 16. This Something is, like that? The quad core is like what's in my Synology. Tech News Weekly. You actually have a chance to check out the uh, Meta Quest Pro. There is potentially good usefulness here because they have things like, say, a Microsoft partnership where you can have virtual screens with Office. And Meta is just a massive company that has a lot of resources to throw at this. But HoloLens and Magic Leap have also been trying to identify specific companies that need specific things and then tailor their devices toward them. And the Quest Pro seems much more like they just crammed as much futuristic stuff that they want in their next headset into this device. And now they hope that it's good for someone. (laughs) Today on This Week in Space, we visit Nancy Chabot of the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory to talk about NASA's amazing DART mission. DART has demonstrated one way to potentially deflect an asteroid from hitting the Earth in the future if this was needed. This method is called a kinetic impactor technology, which is just a fancy way of saying crashing a spacecraft into an asteroid and giving it a small nudge. Twit, making the world safe for technology. Yeah, Rod told me that uh, on the scale of their expectations for the DART program, uh, they moved that a- asteroid uh, right at the extreme end of the best case scenario. It was a huge success, which if anybody's worried about an asteroid hitting us, given Bruce Willis kind of retiring, I think this is the next <laughs> next best uh, shot that we have, so to speak. At saving the world. It was a really interesting week uh, this week, thanks to Microsoft and Meta. Will next week be interesting thanks to Apple? Seems to be a little bit of a debate over, I think Apple should have an event. If Microsoft could have an event for those things, which were, you know, it was interesting. Uh, it was similar to Apple's thing. We're, we're going to take existing designs, put more chips, better chips in it, that kind of thing. Um I think it's such a great opportunity to get the attention of the press, get people listening and talking about it. It's a big hour-long ad. Why wouldn't you do it? But they're apparently, according to Mark Gurman and others in the know, probably not going to have an event. They're just going to put out a press release. Yeah, I think the only reason Microsoft actually did an event was because it's its 10th anniversary of Surface. Oh, okay. And so they kind of want to have something there. And really, the Surface Pro 9 was... 
the only real like star of the show that actually had some interesting things to talk about it. Laptop five was, you know, purely expected, although the bigger news there was they dropped AMD. Uh, But again, I think that might also have to do with the fact that they're not anticipating a lot of laptop sales because of the current economic environment. So maybe they just didn't want to have so much inventory with two chips. It just didn't make sense this time around. Uh, So I think that's probably why Microsoft actually had the event, but I can understand with Apple too, you know, they're just going to put new processors in there. And let's be honest, that's usually how Apple does it. They do even less change than Microsoft does in its devices. Right. Well, if you've got and, a, a perfect Apple, design, you, know, you, you don't even going to get it. all the coverage anyway. <laughs> that's a, do a press release or an event. Yeah. Are you okay? The police outside? <laughs> Was that you, Daniel? <laughs> Siren, siren went off. What do you think, Brianna? You were just singing the praises of the uh, M2 MacBooks. Well, I mean, look, obviously, I'm sorry, Daniel. I'm an Apple fangirl. Uh, we can still be friends. Uh, but, you know, I almost feel like these events have, have lost something in the, the post-COVID era uh, just because they're so, I mean, they're beautifully produced, right? You've got the drone cams of everything flying through the yeah, air, yeah. transitioning. It's well done, but I mean, am I the only one that thinks it feels just a little bit artificial? Well, so no. Yeah. In fact, lately I've been saying this is just an infomercial. Why are we? Yeah. Why are we doing this? You know, we're just and giving them they, all this airtime. A hundred percent. If they yeah. don't have like a a really sexy, interesting product to to bring out, I I just. I, I don't think in 2022, like slightly revised Apple Silicon yeah. hardware no, you're is, right. is, is something worth holding in. It came from the days when Apple was every time they were doing an event, they were announcing some big breakthrough. And you could do that for a while, but eventually it's just going to be incremental improvements. Maybe next year when they do their mixed reality headset, they'll for sure have a big event around that. Uh-huh. Or maybe, you know, the Apple Silicon Mac Pro, uh, you know, might be a reason to do an event. Well, that's what I thought. Maybe they do an event. So Apple's quarterly results come out the 27th. Uh, German says between now and then, probably on the 24th, they'll release iPad OS 16, which has been held back along with an announcement of new iPads. Uh, we're still waiting for the new Mac OS Ventura. We were waiting because we thought, well, they'll release it with new Macs. Uh, and they have promised, they had promised a new Mac Pro this year thinking is it probably will announce something and then offer it for sale next year. So yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. We passed the, the opportunity uh, for the 18th. We would have had uh, some news about it before now. So now, now we're going to look at the 24th or 25th for an Apple event. All right. It's time for the Elon Musk segment. (laughs) I saved the worst of the best for last, depending on your point of view. (laughs) The information has seen the new proposal Elon has made to Twitter for uh, ownership. And according to these documents, Elon will have absolute control. Uh, He will have sole discretion to decide whether to pursue a sale of the company, an IPO, or some other refinancing transaction involving the business. In other words, the board, no. Nothing to say about it. Uh, there won't be any shareholders because he's buying the company from the shareholders, so there won't be any shareholders. That's how. Well, there uh, will be some. 
I mean, he's got, he's got, oh, yeah, the, you know, the employees. Investors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Investors. Well, yeah. well I, I, don't, I don't know if the employees will even have shares, but certainly, you know, his, his investors. other partners. Yeah. People like Larry Ellison and, and Jason Calcanis, apparently. And, and Saudi you know, Arabia. Saudi yeah, Arabia, the, the Saudi sovereign yeah. fund. Uh, yeah, I he, mean, there'll, there'll be a bunch of investors, but, you know, not publicly traded, obviously. He is apparently considering an IPO, a, you know, put it back in the public market that's one way to try to make your 44 billion dollars back by the way i'm watching twitter's stock price creep up it's over 50 dollars now his uh, offer is for 54.20 as it gets close to that number it just means the stock market's starting to believe maybe maybe elon's gonna close musk will have exclusive authority to appoint and remove members of the board see this should send if you're an employee at twitter this should send chills up and down your spine all minority is, investors have to agree to with vote. All his companies, though, is that how he, he does has it? total con- total? Yeah, control. he has total control yeah. at Tesla. Yeah. I mean, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't. He owns enough of Tesla and SpaceX that you know, and he's got you know very uh, particularly at Tesla. He's got a very compliant board that basically just rubber stamps whatever he wants to do. That there, you know, he is effectively in total control of all of his enterprises. In years past, that would have been a good thing. We, when we thought of him as uh, Tony Stark, that would have been a good I thing. I never thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never thought of him as Tony Stark. Now that we've seen his no. Twitter, uh, bizarre Twitter tweets, is he selling a perfume called Burnt Hair? Oh, God. Yeah. It's like something a child would do. $100 it's- a bottle. Yeah, but like his audience is so dumb that they bought it all and he made like a million dollars, they said. Like, it's absurd. Well, can, but, uh, can we have an honest discussion about what this is going to mean for free speech? Uh, you know, a story that came out last week is, uh, you know, it was reported that uh, Elon had a talk uh, with, uh, with Vladimir Yee Putin. And Putin. Exactly yeah. before coming out with this poll. Basically advocating, hey, y'all, do you think uh, uh, Ukraine should forfeit the uh, Crimea and also be uh, have to supply them with water? Literally coming out directly before that, he's talking to Putin. Those are Russian talking points. That's correct. Then immediately after that, they suddenly decide, oh, well, I think we're going to cut off access in the Crimea uh, with Starlink greatly hampering any efforts to retake that territory. And now you're talking about Elon Musk being in charge and what I believe and many in the State Department believe is our most weaponizable battle space when it comes to information warfare. And I have extreme concerns about all of this. Um, I, I don't think the sale should go through. I think for a million different reasons, I think it's going to be bad for free speech. I think it's going to be bad for women and black people and gay people. I think that um, I, I, I'm worried about national security. And I think if you followed how Elon runs any of his companies from Tesla to SpaceX, he pops in with these crazy ideas, but he's not an engineer. It doesn't lead to a better product. There's a lot of hype, but there are very few promises that end up being delivered on. So my concerns here could not be more serious. Elon, uh, after, you know, tweeting his Russian-Ukraine peace plan, 
Uh, don't forget uh, the China one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same thing. And he agreed not to sell Starlink service in China, which you know would have been a way to circumvent the Great Wall, the Great Firewall. Interesting. Um, He, you know, the Chinese said, "Yeah, um, we don't want Starlink here." Uh, Tesla is made in China, right? And they sell a lot of cars in China. Right. But yep. but the Chinese government owns the land on which the, the Shanghai Tesla factory oh, is, is situated. And the loan, you know, the original loan agreement for that, the lease agreement, um, you know, gives them the right to basically take it back anytime they want. Um, so, you know. You know, Tesla essentially has to do whatever the Chinese government wants. And, you know, we see this with Apple, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you want to be in the Chinese market, you do whatever the Chinese government wants. Uh, So really, the only question is, is Tesla just a businessman pretending to be a free speech advocate? Or is he some sort of bizarre libertarian? It's kind of hard to figure him out. When he proposed the peace plan on Twitter... The uh, outgoing Ukrainian ambassador said, F off. He said in the most (laughs) diplomatic way, F off. At which Elon says, hey, you know what? We don't want to pay for those Starlink uh, base stations in Ukraine. Wrote a letter to the uh, DOD saying, you know, it's it's costing us $400 million over the next year. Could you pay for this? And then, of course, there was additional reporting that came out. uh, Actually, the Pentagon has been paying for, I believe, 80 percent of those costs to date. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not to mention this massive subsidies he gets for SpaceX and so forth. Uh, He says now pettiness. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. It's just it's just babyish. In a tweet yesterday, he said, "Okay, the hell with it. Even though Starlink is still losing money and other companies are getting billions of taxpayers' dollars, we'll just continue to fund the Ukraine government for free. But you're saying that the DOD is already paying a big chunk well, of well, it. Most of SpaceX's revenue comes from NASA and the DOD. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, they, they, they do. They do. They do some private stuff, you know, for other companies, satellite launches. But the bulk of their revenue comes from NASA and the Department of Defense. Elon Musk and uh, Kanye West kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> hand in hand uh these billionaires should I don't know what go away billionaires should not be on Twitter <laughs> they shouldn't be on Twitter yeah. that's for sure but th- but you know in a way I said this about Trump too I was glad he was on Twitter cuz that we saw his true self we see yeah. the mm-hmm. true Elon Musk but we it didn't see- really help did it no it doesn't help but at least we know we don't have that fantasy anymore about who Elon Musk is or Kanye West is. We know the truth is out there. Uh, And so in a way, I don't, you know, I think there's a value to having these people be in public. If I were their advisor, I'd say, shut the hell up. But I know, I know everybody's told Elon to do that a hundred times. He ain't never going to do it. He says he talked to uh, Kanye about the anti whole (laughs) anti-Semitism thing. And it's going to be, you know, he got it. He got it. So. That's Although great. isn't Kanye on Twitter today with another interview and he's going off? Oh, the podcast! Oh my God, yeah. he's repeating every anti-Semitic <laughs> trope from the elders of Zion on down. I mean, it's all complete and utter BS from the from the manual of anti-Semitism. You might as well be quoting Mein Kampf. Nuts. Anyway. You think Elon is just uh, putting on a show and 
He's playing 12D chess. No. Nope. I think that he's not <laughs> nope. as much on the right or the left. No, I, I don't think, think he's political. Text, yeah. I think his text messages that were leaked in this lawsuit really show he's he's a billionaire. It's yeah, a reality all. all of its own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, with a concern yeah. and a uh, honestly like a, a victim complex that is really interesting considering the amount of power he wields in this world um very troubling yeah and you know one of one of the reasons why he does today runs his companies the way he does you know in total control is he never got over getting pushed out of paypal um that that was something that you Ah. know from you know, from what I've read and, and people I've talked to has always bothered him the way he got pushed out there. And this is one of the reasons why he's always insisted on maintaining such a large equity stake yeah. in in Tesla, in SpaceX yeah. in particular, you know, and then his other ventures. Um, and he he wants to retain control of everything that he's involved with. He doesn't want any the 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 one sort of exception is at SpaceX where Gwen Shotwell, uh, the COO, uh, runs basically runs the business day to day, but she, you know, and and that's is she good. an engineer and that, that, or no? Uh, or she's I don't a business remember. person. I, yeah, I think she's a. I don't think she's an engineer. But, but she does. I, she does I, keep Elon certain. at bay somewhat. Yeah, yes. but she 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 does a good job of running the company. You know, she knows how to she knows how to manage the company, which is something that you know for you know, for all the, the capabilities Elon's got, I mean, as a marketer and ideas person, you know, he's accomplished a lot, but he's, he's a terrible manager. Yeah. Um, and you know, if, you know, if he was just, you know, like executive chairman or something, you know, where he was kind of creating, providing the vision for the company and then letting competent people actually execute on that, I think all of his companies would probably be in a lot better shape. Um, but uh you know he he's he's always he always feels like he needs to retain total control and you see that especially with tesla over the years you know the the tweets about about uh, you know sleeping on the, the floor of the factory when they were having his production problems it's like that's not something a ceo should be doing you know yeah. a good ceo hires the right people to to manage those sorts of things and then steps back and lets them do their job you know, you don't need one individual that does that, that, that is going to be hovering and micromanaging like that. And I think that's, that's the problem you're going to see at, at Twitter. If he ultimately takes control of Twitter is he's going to be micromanaging all kinds of things. Um, and I think it's just going to turn into a, even more of a mess than it always has been. When she wants to turn into WeChat. He says that's the big yeah. vision. This this one killer app he calls X, and some of the ideas actually come from his time at PayPal. Speaking right. of uh, yeah. when it comes mm-hmm. to commerce, that he wants to finally build upon and build into Twitter. But it, yes, it's concept which you know if you remember Skype even tried this years ago with bots and everything. A lot of companies have tried this idea in, in Western markets to emulate what has happened in China with building this one app to rule them all, but really no one has uh, had that success. And, you know, I don't see how this late in the game, Twitter is going to do that, but that's apparently what he's going to attempt to do with the service, which, yeah, you know, it's going to be like almost what Facebook did where it just kept throwing stuff in there. 
hoping that people will start to use it and they'll, you know, it'll be profitable at some point. I'm guessing that Elon does knows that that's impossible, that WeChat happened in a climate, the Chinese government run climate that was very different than anything in the United States. And he's just saying that because he's trying to keep the investors quiet and happy. And in the long run, his hope is an IPO. If he can trick everybody into investing in Twitter, will get him out of this because he now knows he's stuck paying the $44 billion. By the way, I want to fully credit uh, Gwen Shotwell. She uh, has a, a degree, a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering, okay. a Master's of Science in Applied Mathematics. She uh, worked uh, at the El Segundo Research Center of the Aerospace Corporation, did technical work on military space research and development contracts. She worked on STS-39 in thermal analysis she worked in space systems engineering and project management positions, joined uh, SpaceX in 2002 and convinced Elon that uh, SpaceX needed a dedicated employee to work on BizDev full time uh, and since has risen to company president. She is a business person at this point, but with an absolute aerospace uh, background. So president and COO of SpaceX, probably her number one skill, I would guess, is strong it's yeah. uh, keeping elon at bay you know although he likes to tweet about how yeah i was just uh, spent uh, all night talking about uh, how those uh, jets should work on the falcon i Heavy. think that's the weird the myth around him is yeah. so like yeah. it, when you like if you go into the responses on twitter to people who defend him which is a whole other weird thing oh, uh it, it, they all think like he literally invents right. he designed stuff. the rockets so. yeah. yeah yeah he's an engineer and you're like he's one of the biggest inventors ever like I, he's never invented anything yeah. he's told people no. to invent things yeah. he's invested and paid maybe people if he if he's done anything right he's chosen the right people choosing yeah. shot yeah. well which is a the skill right that's a skill yeah, yeah. A skill. yeah. yeah. I I also think something I really appreciate about Elon, and this will probably be the only nice thing I say on this episode today, but I think something I respect about him is he is presenting an idealistic version of the future that really is straight from a 50s science fiction novel. Like he's pushing for automated. He's not automated. Yeah. He's pushing for automated androids that will do work around the house, self-driving cars, <laughs> yeah, yeah. rockets that go to the moon, you know, like all these things. It, it really is amazing what he's pushing for. And I think, I think that his male, like very male younger supporters, they see that and they feel like they're in on this story mm. where they can create their own reality. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think you have that there. And then I think you have the press over here that bought it for like the first five years. But now there's a lot more skepticism. So when Elon comes out and says, like he did at the, at the AI Tesla event, like, oh, well, this robot can't stand up on its own now, but we'll be walking in a week. Well, maybe five years ago, the press would have believed him on that. Today, I don't think anyone does. And I think that's why you have these competing realities. Yeah. We've all learned a little bit of a lesson about hype, hype masters, you know, and uh, maybe we are not quite as credulous as we have been in the past. I certainly am not. Uh, one last story. I don't know about you. I am looking at Netflix thinking, is this worth fourteen ninety nine a month? Netflix knows that's that's kind of the thought everybody's going through right now. There is nothing on Netflix that is as commanding as uh, some of their previous efforts like Stranger Things, The Queen's Gambit the crown. Uh, so they are looking at ad 
supported Netflix. They've announced mm. it'll be $6.99 a month launching next month. Netflix Basic will be available in 12 countries. So now you have three choices. Quit Netflix, keep it at the high price, and hope something good comes on, or or six ninety nine a month and watching ads. What don't do forget think? the four K tier is even higher. It's like twenty nine. Oh, that's right. Twenty. That's right. Ninety nine. I spent a lot yeah. of money on Netflix. Yeah. 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 We were actually getting ready to cancel Netflix, and then um, I switched uh, to a different T Mobile plan that was going to save me some money. Now, now that I'm old enough to uh, get the fifty, <laughs> are you getting the silver plus, plan? Oh, good. Uh, yeah, well, it's the fifty five plus <laughs> max plan from T Mobile. Can I tell so you now, about now we get Netflix for free. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't get Netflix well, for free, unfortunately. Actually, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, actually, the re, the reason why I stuck with T Mobile because I was actually thinking about switching away is because they offer a version of the Google One plan that still has. Um, unlimited uh google photos uh original uh oh. original resolution oh. so for 15 bucks a month i get two terabytes of storage plus unlimited google photos storage on top of that netflix yeah. has lost over a million subscribers so far this year uh i wonder if you're you're, you're not alone uh sam i think a lot of people are thinking do i really need to well i mean we we've, we've been doing you know for the last several years you know we uh netflix is netflix and amazon prime have basically been the only two that have stuck consistently amazon prime because you know we use it for shipping and other stuff right and netflix for you know for obvious reasons but it, all the other streaming services i mean we quit cable tv six seven years ago and all the other streaming services, we turn them on and off every few months, right. depending on what we're watching. Right. Uh, so, you know, I just turned off HBO Max for a while and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably come back to it at when some the House point. Of the Dragon comes back. So does yeah. actually I'm after now watching uh, both. I think the power uh, rings of power really won the what do you guys think? I like the rings of power a little better than the House of the Dragon. I, I haven't seen it. Uh, I what? I haven't, I haven't it either. seen what? either. What yeah. kind of TV watchers? What kind of couch <laughs> potatoes are you playing pinball, <laughs> driving your boxer around? Come on. Sit on the Just couch. Just finished watching Bad Sisters on Apple TV. Oh, Plus. that's supposed to be good. Is it good? Oh, that's a good. Yeah. Yellow oh, yeah, it's good. That's good, yeah, too. Right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I really loved uh, Rings of Power. It, it took a while. It started really, really slowly. But uh, by the by the last episode, it it, it all gelled. I think they've been. Does it have women in it? Because the, yes. the movies don't. The star is Galadriel. <laughs> oh, okay. She's okay. the hero. In fact, that's one of the things that's interesting about both the House of the Dragon and Rings of Power. It's about women in most. It, it really. Okay. Yeah. That, a little that, too much that's... childbirth for me in the House of the Dragon, but you, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll let that slide, sort so to speak. Uh, Brianna Wu, thank yes. you. You rock. Yes. Thank you. Can I the... tell a super quick story before yes. we jump off today? Yes. So I want to tell y'all a story about a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sitting there on my phone in the afternoon. I'm just doing my job and my phone starts blowing up. And they're like, do you know Alex Jones is talking about you? What? At the Alex Jones trial. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> What's going what? on? So I go and I turn on court TV and I go back and I get the clip. You know, I see the Alex, the, the Sandy Hook families have brought up Alex Jones's lawsuit against me 
as part of the prosecution of their case. So just to give a little bit of background on this. Wait yes. a minute. You defamed Alex Jones? He said I did. Congratulations. I did so, <laughs> so the Connecticut Post put out an article talking about the factual events that happened. This is a reputable local paper talking about how when uh, Alex Jones turned over a bunch of information for discovery to the Sandy Hook parents, there was a bunch of child porn in that. So I saw that story. I accurately quote the Connecticut Post. I put none of my own opinion on that. And I linked to the story below. Very clear. This is reportage. Just as neutral as I could possibly be. And Alex Jones, his lawyer, threatens me on Twitter and goes, I'm going to sue you if you don't take that down. Wow. Yeah, I go and I look at that tweet and I'm like, there's nothing there they could possibly sue me over. I mean, I'm just quoting, I'm linking to a reputable paper and quoting a story. So he sues me. And, uh, you know, long story, like the lawsuit itself is not a mystery to me why Alex Jones has lost so much in court (laughs) because the court case is riddled with typos. It makes no sense. He sued the Young Turks as well. uh, The Young Turks and and, uh, Andrew, who uh, was a journalist for BuzzFeed at the time. So eventually they're just forced to drop the entire suit because it makes absolutely no sense. Right. Here's where it gets interesting. By the, the way, did reason, it cost you a penny? Nothing. Good. I have a pro bono lawyer that Good. looked at this and said, I would love to represent you. Good. This is third. And if he kept the case up, we would have brought it to Massachusetts where I would have done anti-slap and sued him for triple damages. Awesome. Right back he had no leg to stand on. So the Sandy Hook families looked at this and they're going, okay. So in our court case, Alex Jones is saying, you know, free speech, I need to be able to claim this. Yeah, I need to be able to report on things. And then they try to, and then they bring up this court case, which the lawyers work so hard to suppress because they know it destroys their defense. Because Alex Jones wants free speech for himself, Mm. but for people like me Mm. to be able to put my opinion out there, he tried to shut me down. So obviously this was a very small variable in a very well-argued legal case, but I had a small role to play in the billion-dollar judgment against Alex Jones, which I am very proud of. <laughs> That's something to celebrate. That <laughs> is something to celebrate. Wow. So in what context were you brought up in the current trial? They just mentioned this or... So there was a whole thing. His lawyers worked so hard to try to exclude this. It was a whole period of questioning where he brings me up and he's like, you sued Brianna Wu because of this. Do you remember her? She was saying stuff on the internet, blah, blah, oh, blah. God. And then they go into the free speech argument. Like, well, don't you see how you're saying one thing for yourself right. and another for other people? So Unbelievable. It, it, one could hope that he'll be bankrupted by the billion dollar judgment, but one sadly knows he makes far more than that uh, wow. on his little grift. <sighs> Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack, <laughs> uh, rebellionpack.com. 
Yes, that's it. Help the rebellion if you want to help us out. Join uh, the rebellion. The best place to go. Yeah. Uh, help the rebellion, not join the rebellion. That URL was taken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this, but you don't have to get a tattoo. Uh, that's the good no. news on this one. No, we we won't yeah. ask you to do. Help that. the rebellion. Rebellionpack dot com. Progress in America starts with you. Awesome. Good job. And of course, listen to Brianna as I started to say with Simone de Rochefort and Christina Warren on her great podcast, Rocket, which is bigger and better than ever at Relay.fm. Just wonderful good. podcast. I, I just great show. I wish I could do a podcast half as good as that. But there he, well, first of all, you do, but there's nothing else out there like Rocket. There's just It's not. so good. Yeah. So well well done. Actually, Relay's got a lot of good Mike does a good job. He's got a lot of good podcasts on that network, uh, including some from uh, our own uh, friends like Andy Anako and uh, Florence Ion material, and you and uh, Christina. Would you help us get a hold of Simone? She doesn't return our calls. I want to get. Her, I will do that. I want to get her back her. on the show. I think she's so wonderful. Uh, you, just, you should have a week where it's just the three of us. We come on and do Twit with. We you. could do a Don't collab. Do Rocket yes. meets twit. <laughs> or oh, that would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank you, Daniel Rubino. Uh, wonderful job. Uh, it's not Rubino, although it would be <laughs> good if it was. Rubino, <laughs> yeah. executive editor at Windows Central. I just kind of Latinized your name. <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else you want to talk? You do the Windows Central podcast every Friday, I know. Um, yep. What else? Anything else you want to plug? Oh, well. Yeah, I'll just say stay tuned. We got, uh, you know, Intel 13th Gen desktop reviews coming oh, out soon. Uh, Surface reviews, I'm sure, will be out soon as well. So, I have a yeah, 12th a- Gen uh, Intel 15, and I like XPS 15. I like it. People have been kind of bad-mouthing the 12. You think the 13 no. will be better? So it depends what you value. If you value performance, the 12th and 13th Gen, especially the 13th Gen, are very powerful processors. I'm running the Core i5 right now, and... Uh, well, I can't reveal any numbers. Uh, it's powerful. And I got to slap in an i9 a little bit later to test that one. The problem with them is comes to laptops is the, the efficiency part is right. not quite there, right. but they're very much aware of that. But right now they're tackling power. Right. I was hoping for, you know, extraordinary battery life, but it's fine. It's good. And I love the idea uh, on the 12th gen um, that I can run an i5 and get some Pretty good. I didn't get an i7 or a yeah. 9 because I was worried about throttle. You don't need it. Yeah. And I feel like the i5 yeah. really is a very nice system. All right. Windows Central. Yeah. Read all about it. Those reviews uh, coming soon. Thank you, Daniel. And Thank Sam, you. my friend, he appears every week on the Tech Guy Show to talk about cars. Guidehouse Insights is his day job. His podcast, Wheel Bearings, is available at wheelbearings.media, wherever you find podcasts always a pleasure when are you coming out here to drive a vehicle anytime soon? um i will be in palm springs uh, oh, in a couple of weeks fun. uh to drive some bmws including the new i7 uh electric <sighs> such a good vehicle. job i'm so jealous it's it's not ah. the worst it's not the worst gig in the world <laughs> i could so i'm cool. you know i'm lucky i get you know in both in my job as an analyst, uh, you know, and, and, you know, part-time journalist, you know, I get to talk to a lot of really interesting people, a lot of really smart people, uh, you know, like this, this conference I was at this week on simulation, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of fascinating people there, um, learned a lot of things. And so, you know, I've, I've been in the auto industry over 30 years now in various roles, uh, and this is, 
yeah, I've been saying for several years now, and it remains to be, it remains true that this is the most interesting time of my career. Because there's so many things happening. Yeah. I'm always learning new stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I really enjoy what I do. It was a legacy industry until about 10 years ago. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's cutting edge, which is fascinating. Yeah. It's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. So, thank you, Brianna. Thank you. Thank oh, you, just, And just one more note. Yes. I, you know, I, I did buy, I bought a new Samsung Galaxy Book 2 a few months ago oh. with a 12th gen yeah. i7 in it. Yeah. And I really like it. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a fabulous laptop. You know, it was, it's light, thin, uh, has, has, you know, great performance, you know, compared to what I had before. They're and, so thin. Uh, They're so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The so performance on that laptop is, is better than you would think it was. It's one of the best yeah. performing laptops for that generation. And Do you it, ever you know, use got, the pen? It's got though. an AMOLED screen. Ooh, uh, nice. I, yeah. I have the, uh, I have the, the regular Galaxy Book 2, not the Pro. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so it supports no pen. the pen, but I don't, yeah. I don't, it's, it supports the pen, but I don't have one. I would never use um, it. Yeah. But it's got a beautiful AMOLED screen on there. How's the uh, battery fantastic. life? They're claiming 21 hours. Are you getting. Uh, well, th- th- I think that's for the new, that's for the three. Oh, maybe or, no, it is. Galaxy Book 2 Pro. This is, might Pro. be the Pro. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the Pro. I think mine is rated at uh, like, I don't know, 14 or 15 hours. Um, I can get, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, seven, eight, nine hours, depending on what I'm doing. If I'm just writing, you know, it'll, it'll run nine. Boy, I wish hours. I'd known about this before I bought the Dell. This looks really nice. Yeah. I, I wish no, I could justify a, getting yeah. a new laptop, but I, yeah. I really, they don't wear and, out as and, fast as I, as yeah. I wish they would. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't hate windows 11. Yeah. No, I love windows <laughs> yeah. 11. I yeah. don't, I think it's, it's right. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with windows 11. Thank you, Sam, Brianna, Daniel. You guys are great. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Uh, if you want to watch live, we do Twitter every Sunday afternoon, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2100 UTC, right after the Tech Guys show. You can watch us uh, at live.twit.tv. If you're watching live, chat with us on our IRC. I just found out that IRC turned 34 years old yesterday. Wow. I thought it was older than that, to be honest with you, because we started using IRC just four years later in 1992. So uh, we've been using IRC for 30 years of those 34 <laughs> years. That's kind of amazing. I uh, love that IRC, irc.twit.tv. Uh, of course, you also can chat if you're a Club Twit member in our Discord. After the fact, you can get uh, shows on demand at twit.tv. There's a YouTube channel dedicated to This Week in Tech. Uh, in fact, all of our shows have their own uh, YouTube channel, which is nice. Great way to share little clips if you want to do that. YouTube's really good for that. Um, and, of course, the easiest, best way to get the show, uh, any of our shows, I would say, is to get it through a podcast client. Uh, Pocket Cast is very popular. Apple's uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, because then it gets you know downloaded automatically. The minute uh, we finished cleaning it up, editing it, taking out the swear words, uh, and... Uh, uh, if your podcast client, as many do, allows for reviews, please leave us a five-star review. The one disadvantage of being the longest-running tech podcast in the world since uh, 2005, almost 18 years now, is wow. that uh, people forget that, that you're around. I get email all the time said, I thought you were dead. So <laughs> tell, tell the world, Leo's not dead. <laughs> Twit lives on. Uh, leave us a good review and uh, maybe somebody will uh, discover it. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Another twit is in the can. Bye-bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Amazing.